Welcome to That Hockey Show, part of the Go Hockey Media Radio Network. It's time to hit the ice for some puck talk, no matter how many teeth you have left, with some of the sharpest line mates covering the game. We're going coast to coast and through the neutral zone to light the lamp with all the latest hockey chirping you can handle. So, you better keep your head up, because the team at THS always finishes their checks. It's showtime. Let's drop the puck, and if we have to, drop the gloves on that hockey show where the game is always on yes the game is always on right here at ths welcome to that hockey show ladies and gentlemen another great thursday here uh, february 17th to be exact 2022 as we roll on into the second week of this second half of the nhl season Lots going on, storylines and headlines, all kinds of great stuff to talk about here. And as always, yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, manning the THS board here on Long Island in the great state of New York. And as always, I'll be joined by my line mates here. Uh, we'll head out to Chicago, we'll talk to Ted Bamford, and hopefully we'll get Steve-O on here a little bit. I mean, he's still he's still feeding the Dolphins down the Gulf Coast since he moved there from L.A., so he's, he's been kind of busy. But we'll see if we get Stevie on a little later on. But as always... We're going we're gonna to skip the nonsense of me jibbering and jabbing in the beginning like I've been doing. And we're going to bring in everybody's favorite guy from Buffalo, Mr. Joe Yarden, right here in the face-off circle. That's right, folks. I did say Joe Yarden. What's up, Joey? Welcome back to THS. Holly Cuthbert, it's a beautiful thing to be back. Woo! Blues rock rolling for you as always. Get How are we doing, my man? Here. Oh, yeah. So what's shaking, buddy? I, I see the Maintenance Day podcast is rolling out the content. and Yeah. You were busy. Yeah. Are you telling me before we got live here that um, you were up this morning talking puck, too, man? What's going yeah. on? And I know you were up late watching puck. Yeah. It's, but you look it's good. A sickness. It's a sickness. Well, I, I, nothing nothing a shower can't fix, you know, just to kind of brighten up the day. Turn turn the water on extra cold just to wake you up, snap you out of it. It's uh yeah, I'm ready to go now. All right, buddy. All right, pal. But yeah, yeah. Eight yeah, eight o'clock this morning after going to bed around one after the USA Canada women's game ended this morning. I know it was bright and early over there in China, but it was way too early here by the time that got, by the time that got over here. Early, it was. It's that weird, blurry, late, early time here where, if you're out at night, you got to make a call. Like if you're out someplace hanging out with friends, it's one a.m. You got to make a decision: Are we going all night, or are we going? Are we calling it right now? And I, instead of staying up all night, I was like, I'm calling it right now. I'm going to bed. Good man. Good <laughs> I wasn't. Man. I, the only place I went to was my couch. By the way, I wasn't wasn't out someplace watching the game. That was. I was asking too much of me yesterday, Paulie. It was it was, it was a big ask because I had to because I had to watch I had to watch Jack play his first game in Vegas. I'm sure I'm I'm just completely trampling over our whole list. No, of things buddy, God, I'm listening to you. So, this is wonderful. <laughs> so yeah, so it was yeah. Yesterday was the perfect day to be on the West Coast to watch hockey. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, 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 I'm on the East Coast, so that's. That didn't work out too well. No doubt about it. It was a bunch of great games on last night. We'll we'll, we'll swing around a little bit. We'll we'll talk about the um, the En Fuego Flames um, mm. with their mm. new with their new uh, forward via Montreal on their uh, roster now. So good stuff there. But yeah, I mean, let's start off with the. Uh, we'll get into Eichel and everything else. Uh, I mean, maybe we'll just start there real quick. I mean, I uh, mm -hmm. I was I was watching the first two periods of the game, and then I you know I zonked out. You know how busy I am, Joe. I've got a you know. 
it never you. ends for you, Paulie. It never yeah. stops. So, uh, but I, it looks like I didn't I didn't miss Jack scoring anything or or any Vegas Knights scoring anything last night. And uh, the Avs, um, you know, come out with the two nothing win, and, and Darcy Campbell gets the shutout. So good stuff for him. I will tell you this. Those first two periods were fantastic hockey. It was mm-hmm. it was exciting. I think what's kind of going around right near uh, right now uh, here in the NHL is you can get that. You know, we love this time of the year. You can just see it, and the trading deadline's coming up, and it's all a couple of trades have already started. But mm-hmm. if that was any indication, you know, and if the, and if, if Eichel gets rolling and it gets stoned back in the lineup here, and you know that that might have been a preview. I know the Flames are going to have a lot to say here at the end. Mm-hmm. But if you can get that as Vegas series, you got a taste of it last night, and it was a ton of fun hockey. The pace on that game, that that was a playoff-level pace. Absolutely. Because that was – there were no mistakes being made. Everything was just quick, in and out, go, go, go. And – you know, both teams were both teams were executing. You know, I, you know, you don't have a you know a zero zero game going into the uh, the third period without both teams doing everything co- almost correctly. I mean, the only thing they weren't doing right was scoring. But Darcy <laughs> Kemper had a lot to say about that. Even even Laurent Bossois had a lot to say about that. Who for the Vegas. hell he is played, he? he? He's he's the backup. Robin Leonard's banged up, so so Laurent Bossois gets the call. <laughs> Love saying the French names. Probably. Yeah, man, it makes me feel good. But like he, but he had a he. Brassois played great. Uh, Kemper played outstanding, and that's two shutouts in a row for him. So, night. That's as long as he stays healthy, the Abs are going to do just fine. Like the Abs are going to do just fine, anyways. But as long as Brassois is, or uh, as long as Kemper stays healthy, they're going to be good. I mean, and plays know, Francis, well because yeah. that's that's the question, right? They've got all this firepower. You got McCarr. You got a, a pretty good defensive unit in there. Um, and, and if, if they can, that was the big thing when Gubauer left and, and everything else could Kemper mm-hmm. carry this thing. And I, like I said, he showed up the last couple of games looking really good and steady. Yeah. And you know, there's such a loaded up team. I mean, Kadri's having an incredible season. It's contract year. So, I mean, that, that, that's good for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get a few extra bucks thrown in there too. Um, you know, McKinnon is McKinnon, you know, the top line, you know, of, you know, McKinnon, Landeskog and Rontanen is just so damn good. Like Rontanen is Rontanen is just a beast in the power play. He gets another power play goal last night. It's eleventh of the season. There's eleven on the power play. Never mind everything else he's doing. Yeah. But uh, but I mean they're, they're just dynamite. And you know what? Taves look. Taves was pushing the pace just the way McCarr does. McCarr does last Former night. New York I, Islander, I believe. How they let that guy go? Yeah. What? How, the did, hell? how did that happen? <laughs> I, it's, you know. Listen. Lose lose a real good judge of talent, but like. He got into a money fight with with Devon Taves. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> keep him. With, how how much would the Avs bet or the Isles benefit from having a puck moving defenseman as opposed to a guy that can just you know really hammer hammer guys and d up? Like, yeah. Taves can do both. Mm-hmm. They knew that, but they don't want to pay him. So, well, I mean, that hey, their loss is the Avs gain, and it's not like the Avs needed help on the back end with you know because you know they've got three dudes who can really offense it up i mean eric johnson's kind of the old guy now mm-hmm. but i mean yeah as long as he stays healthy he's he's a solid dude to have in there mccarr's great taves great sam gerrard's great boy what a steal he was from nashville in the, in the duchene trade my mm-hmm. goodness yeah um so i mean like yeah abs just have a ton of talent but like vegas yeah you mentioned mark stone and you know stone goes out of the lineup he's he's on ltir and got a funny feeling we won't see him again until 
until the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Makes the salary situation work a little bit better. You know, oh, cause... yeah, they brought it up last night on, on the broadcast, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, it, kind it, of the timing right now of Jack coming in and Stone being out. That's very weird. A little bit, yeah. It's weird how Stone makes almost as much as, as Eichel does. And wow, weird. That's well. With that said, Joe, what, what what does Vegas do at the trading deadline, or can they do? Or is the team that we saw on the ice last night minus Stone is is that what they're rolling with? I I, I gotta think that's pretty close to what they're rolling with. I, if anything, they're gonna do they add look a for a goaltender too, just in case. Yeah. Now I th- I think that's the area where they gotta add. I think they have to they have to get a little bit more insurance behind Leonard. Uh, you know, Bersois played a nice game, but do you want to have him, you know, maybe taken over in the playoffs? Do you feel comfortable with that? I think that's, that's a big question for, for McCrim, you know, uh, for Brad McCrimmon to, or, uh, uh, for GM McCrimmon. The guy in charge. Bre- right. You talk like New Yorkers do. You know, the guy upstairs, the guy making the bread, the guy, the guy setting up the orders. The guy, the guy's pulling the strings up there. He's got to, you know, you, you, let him make the decisions. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you gotta get a little bit more insurance uh, behind. Uh, to me, if you don't have three goalies, and I, this goes back to last year. Like, if you don't have three goalies that you that you believe you can, that you can that you can believe in, period, uh, to to help you through injuries, COVID stuff, whatever. If you don't have three that you can really trust, you might you might end up really being sorry for that. I mean, listen, the Sabers have needed about nine goalies this year, and some of them, eight of the eight, you know, seven of nine of those haven't really worked out. So you know, but that's why they're not in the playoff race. But but Vegas's case, I mean, you know, Leonard. I mean, Leonard's the guy. Like they, you know, they traded Flurry to make that happen. Which I love the rumor that. Vegas might try to go get Flurry again, which is nah, hilarious. Come on, hilarious. Come on, we've like, seen that show already. We, I, I just want to know if Alan Walsh has another Photoshop up his sleeve, just in case. I just, I, I gotta know. Well, I gotta you gotta know. find out is whether or not Mark sold his condo or his house in Vegas. If it's still there, eh, maybe he comes back. I mean, the kid, the kid's still going to school there. I mean, have they moved to Chicago? I guess I gotta ask Tab this next, uh, next segment. I don't understand. Yeah, I, yeah, I listen. If I lived in Vegas, I, 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 you know, and I had a family. Let's stress. Let's let's make sure to make that clear. If I lived in Vegas and had a family, I'm probably doing okay for myself. Yeah. Uh, if I'm if I'm in Vegas and I'm a single dude, I'm probably in big big trouble. So mm. you know, that's a that's that's a whole other conversation. Well, speaking of a single dude now who's in Vegas, let's talk about your old pal number nine, Jack Eichel, mm-hmm. back on the ice after what three months since surgery or something like that. I mean, how do you think he looked? I mean, you got to give him a little. You got to give him a little, um, a little bit of a pass, you know, as far as the pace. I mean, that was a monster yeah. of a game to just jump in, and you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure just uh, he has a little bit of whiplash just watching guys like Ratton and McKinnon fly by him and all that other stuff. But uh, a quick take on, you know, you know the kids so well over the years in Buffalo. Um, what was it like seeing him in a in a Knights jersey and and just seeing him in a new lineup and and, and how do you think he skated last night? All things considered, uh, with the last you know couple of years he's had. Well, I'll say this: it was it was very interesting to see how he was used. I mean, they they essentially had him on their top line. Uh, it was him with Pacioretty and Dadunov, uh, and he played 17 minutes. He was, you know, he got first power play time. Like he was, he was getting number one center use. The one time I didn't see him though was when they were pushing late uh, with with the empty net, trying to uh, trying to get one back. Uh, he was out there for a little bit when they when they first pulled Bressois, and then. Uh, I think it was the Carlson, Smith, Marcheseau, and those guys came out 
uh, for a bulk of that time. Um, and that was surprising. And I don't know Jack's had that happen to him at all since <laughs> before college where he's not, you know, they need him out on the ice for every one of those empty net minutes to try to try to turn things. I mean, that's, that to me would be like, I'd be like, Whoa, okay. I, I guess this is a deep team. I guess, <laughs> I guess, I guess I don't have to be out here for this, but, um, but it, you know, it, it, you know, for first game back, I mean, geez, he's been off for 11 months, Yeah. you know, like first game back and he's playing almost 18 minutes and, you know, he only got one shot on goal, which it's probably a career, a career low for him. Mm-hmm. Like that's, it's a little odd to see, but, uh, you know, I, I think for, for his first game back, that's, it's pretty good. I mean, we didn't see the same, we didn't see a lot of the same stuff yet, but I mean, again, new team, you know, new neck, basically like new, you know, new everything for him. Like that's, it's a lot, it's a lot for a first game. I, I'd almost, if I was him, I'd almost wish to play on the road first just to kind of get, get one under the belt and just kind of get it out of the way. So that when you go into the, when you go into the home game at Vegas and you got all the, the, you know, the pageantry and everything that they do before the games, you don't have that kind of like psyching you out. Um, you know, and Jack's not a guy to get psyched out, but like, I'm sure you get the butterflies. I'm sure you get excited. Like you get a little jumpy. So, um, so I mean, yeah, he didn't have any points. Yeah. I didn't have any goals. Nobody else on the team did either. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, hey, Joe, you know, I'll, I'll cut him a break. Yeah. And Joe, I, I didn't notice it in the first two periods. He, he, you know, I mean, as much as the ice time he got and everything else, and you can tell me a little bit more about the third, you know, he, he did look out of, uh, I guess timing. To me, his timing was off a little bit, obviously. Um, but I didn't notice Colorado giving him any physical stuff last night. And I don't know how things went in the third period, but did he get hit? I mean, I think that's got to be a big part of it. Um, and that might be the where everybody, at least, you know, in, in the Eichel family and in, in Vegas, you know, organization might brace themselves that first time. You know, when he does take a, a big hit in the corner up against the boards or maybe even going across the middle one night. Well, the thing with Jack is he rarely takes a big hit. You know, he's such a good skater. He's such a fast skater mm-hmm. that he's not a guy that's going to get rocked. You know, he's not a guy that gets caught with his head down. He, you know, none of that stuff happens with him. You know, any of the injuries he's had have been like freak weird things. You know, the both ankle injuries that he had in Buffalo, you know, one happens in a, you know, a practice, you know, before the first game of the season. You know, you know, wrecks his ankle, high ankle, hang, high, bleh, high ankle sprain, mm-hmm. and then the the following year he gets a high ankle sprain in the other ankle in a game in Boston, where you know, freak thing, you know, nobody, you know, nobody really touching him. It's just you know, you roll your ankle and you know, you're you're kind of toast for a little bit. But you know, even and the neck thing was was weird because that was you know that was a shot from behind by Sezikis. Uh, Casey Sezikis, you know, behind the net where you know they're just digging for pucks and he just takes one little pop and. You know, one little pop is sometimes all it takes. But you know, he took some bumps. He, you know, he wasn't he wasn't rocked by any big hits. You know, Colorado's got some guys that can that can you know that can deliver the body, but he didn't really take any big hits. Just the you know the normal stuff you see along the boards and uh, even in the corners. Like, but there there I you know I didn't see any I didn't see anything out of Jack that you know he was kind of fearing contact or anything like that. To him it was you know wasn't it, it, it didn't look like a hundred percent you know, like the Jack that we're used to. And I'm not saying like, he's not a hundred percent. Like I'm not saying that, but like yeah. the guy that we're used to seeing, I, he wasn't totally that last night, but there was still some of that, you know, some of the, you know, the way he, he handles the puck, the way he can jump through the zone, the way he finds holes. There was a lot of that there. So we'll, we'll see how this works uh, from here on out. But I, you know, I got a feeling Ve- Vegas is going to be extremely happy having him. 
Yeah, and he said it himself. He says it's going to get better, and we can oh, all yeah. expect that. I mean, he's – I think we're all waiting. I mean, I can talk, you know, outside of Buffalo down here and, you know, watching him come into the league. And, and you know, unfortunately, you know, we've like I said, we've talked about it in length over the last, mm-hmm. you know, season here on THS and stuff, and obviously with the Sabres and their situation and everything else. But, you know, he's, a, he's, he's one of these stars that you want to play well. And once it does start clicking – you know, hopefully that's going to be a um, you know a, a success a success story for Eichel and Vegas too, and um and the timing couldn't be better because they're going to need them because that Western Conference is um is starting to heat up and and speaking mm-hmm. of heat, no pun intended, um you know looking at the <laughs> or scores no or last pun night. very intended, Paulie. Let's, <laughs> let's be real here. Um, I was just noticing the the, uh, the Jets putting a hurt on the Wild last night. I mean, they're five points out of a wild card spot, and you know sometimes we all forget that Paul Maurice isn't there anymore. It's almost like that story just went away. And where is Paul Maurice? Where is he gone? Nothing. He's not on TV. I mean, he really went and took a sabbatical. He's taking it easy. Um, but you you look over at that Flames Duck games uh, Duck game last night, and you know Flames put up a six spot last night. Toffoli, I don't think scored last night, but forty three shots on goal. This is we talked about it last week. Sutter's got this defensive, you know, system. He, the Ducks only got twenty eight shots. Um, they're solid in goaltending with Markstrom and everything else. Let's talk about Toffoli joining this lineup, man. He's uh, I'm a big, I've always been a big Toffoli fan. You know, from when he came up with the Kings, you know those those cup runs that they had, he had with LA, he was just a dynamite. You know, alternative to what they had. You know, they're they're you know the top line with Kopitar and Brown. And them, you put Toffoli on that second line and he was a different, he was a complete change of speed, you know, cause, cause Dustin Brown, you know, he's a physical banger, you know, get around the net, dirty goal kind of guy. Toffoli's the, the skill, the shooter, he's got some speed, you know, a, a more traditional offensive spark plug. And with that Calgary lineup, he, he adds another level of that, you know, like Johnny Gaudreau is, you know, he's fast. He's very agile. One of my favorite players you know, in the world. He's super, he's just absolutely dynamite. And, you know, they got a great game out of Dylan Dubé. You know, he's one of their, he's one of their kids that's been coming up through the system. He's looked really good lately, you know, but they've got these guys where it's a nice mix of, of hard asses and guys that can, that guys that can just flat out score. You know, Toffoli is one of those flat-out score guys. You know, he, you mix him in there with, like, a guy, he's, you know, his best buddy from playing in L.A., Milan Lucic. You know, Lucic, put Lucic on a team like this that, that's going to get in the playoffs. Suddenly, you're going to hear a lot more of his name when when those games get harder and those games get more physical and tough. Lucic is going to become more of a guy. Now, you know, everybody knows Milan. He's he's older, like, whatever, but he's still physical. He's still, he's not a guy you want to cross. You don't want to get on the bad side of Milan Lucic. Like, that's... That's that nobody wants that. But like, but even on the physical side of things, like Andrew Manjapani, holy smokes, that he's been incredible this year. And he's, a, you know, a kind of a sandpapery type guy like him and Blake Coleman. What an ad Blake Coleman was for them in the offseason. Like that's, you know, these are these are the moves where you, you look at it on the whole and you're like, wow, this this team's put together. Elias Lindholm, tremendous. And, you know, they've been getting great play from guys that you weren't really expecting you know, for a lot of the, like Eric Goodbranson's playing great, you know, yeah. I, he's been kind of passed ways. around the last few years. Cause and, a lot of people forget, you know, F- uh, Felino leaving, you know what I'm saying? Defensively yeah. and everything else. And, and, you know, between uh Goodbranson and, uh, and this kid, uh, Hannafin, right. And, and killing yeah. him back there, you know, Sutter's giving these guys a lot of, uh, 
time on ice. So they're they're carrying the load and they're looking good out there. You know, yeah. Toffoli got uh, about twelve minutes last night, and I think he got one or two shots on goal. Um, and he's got to get now assimilated to being on the West Coast near now as well too. I think the timing's right. I think he feels good. He he didn't he wasn't part of them. You know, breaking up this eight game win streak that they have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you bring up a great point with the. Uh, with Milan, uh, Lucic there. I mean, having a guy like that with all that talent around, mm-hmm. you know, because Milan's been there before in Boston, you know, in L.A. Yep. for a little bit too, and not so much in Vancouver. But, I mean, it's almost like it, you, that's the kind of guy that, you know, teams want when you have it balanced out with everything else. You're, you're mm-hmm. steady in nets, you got a good defensive core, and then you've got all these offensive weapons and then you got the guy not only can can help out a little bit offensively in terms of setups and stuff, but he can give these guys room, and he's certainly there to protect them all. Yeah, and I mean, let's not get it confused. Let's not, you know, let's not say that you know Lucic is getting fifteen to seventeen minutes a game. He's not. No. Like that's that's not his role. But his role now is to be that kind of not not a deterrent, but just a guy that you got to have your head up on the ice for you know like you know an energy line type guy having Lucic as a guy that you know as an energy line type guy is is weird but also makes complete sense because in a Sutter system that dude is as good as gold you know (laughs) because because you know Daryl's gonna have him playing tough you know you're gonna he's gonna have him playing physical and playing well defensively and you know you can have somebody like Lucic out there being the cop you know being the bad cop out there trying to you know trying to wreck you know trying to wreck guys more often than not legally. I mean, for the most part, let's, <laughs> let's, let's not get it, you know, let's not act like he's, you know, a saint out there, but, um, but I mean, if, you know, as long as he's not a, 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 you know, a complete detriment while he's on the ice, I mean, listen, if you got to have somebody throw punches at somebody's face to get him, knock it off from, from hitting guys like Toffoli and Gaudreau, Hey, you know, uh, Lucci might as well be undefeated as a, as a fighter, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a kind of guy that I think you're going out of your way to not fight. So, you know, like that's the, the makeup of this team, though, is 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 really it's a really fun roster. And it's it's nice to see a Sutter team not be a totally drag boring team to watch. You know, yep. like that's the, the you know, the Kings were guilty of that for a little while. You know, Sutter's past teams have you know, have had that knock where it's just kind of like, man, they just, they're yeah, bored, they just, you know, one. Do you remember yeah. when they were, what were they? They were like, yeah. uh, living like last place that one year, right? Or they something. Were, yeah, they were eighth in the West. And then they, crap. They were eighth in the West. And they just claws back. <laughs> they, they only lost two games that whole playoffs. Insane. Like, it's it's nuts that, that you know, that's the 2012 Kings. They only lost two games that whole playoffs. They went 16 and two in the playoffs. That's nuts. And lucky me, I was at one of those games in Jersey in the cup final. So, you know, <laughs> my buddy who's a Kings fan was was swearing up and down. He's like, if they blow the series and you, you're at every loss, I'm going to – he's like, I'm kicking you out of the house. And I'm like, all right, hey, listen, you know, fair is fair, man. But I was like, they're not going to lose. <laughs> like, they're not losing, man. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Nah, it, look, it's great. I love Sutter. I love, you know, all. The, I love this lineup. I love the team. It's great to see them. I've always had a soft spot for – Calgary because a couple of my favorite players when I was growing up there, whether it goes back to Lanny McDonald and Flurry and, and Gilmore and all those guys that were, mm-hmm. you know, um, part of that, the, the you know, uh, those teams back then. Um, 
you know, I, I just love the flame. I love the old jerseys they brought back, you know, and you need just, just so many great guys, a part of that organization at Ginla and it goes on and on and on. And now they've got mm-hmm. these, cause you know, uh, a year or two. So, I mean, you could see like Johnny Goudreau, like, uh, Oh, maybe they're going to lose this guy. Monahan, they're going to mm-hmm. lose this guys because it, it, they could have turned in almost similarly to like the troubles that Edmonton's having right now. A couple of studs, mm-hmm. great stars and stuff, but man, they're struggling Coach is getting fired again. Same thing was happening in Calgary here, but they've got some stability now. And now, you know, they who are they done here yet for the for the trading deadline? We'll see what happens. And it's exciting. It's a uh, it's going to be a lot of fun in the West Conference. I want to swing just right back to the Panthers and Hurricanes last night before we talk a little Olympics Ooh. and um, a couple what of a other quick things. But uh, yeah, good good two two teams here. A lot of talent on, up front. And they also made some big goal, you know, goaltender changes here in the last two seasons as well, too. And that's Bravasi uh, in in Florida, and obviously uh, Freddie Anderson here in Carolina. Seeing uh, how they lost in overtime last night, obviously, some, just great talent, Ekblad, all that other stuff. But it was just a little hint of me going, "Uh oh!" You could just see a little bit of that old Freddie Anderson. Like that's unfortunately his his knock. Yeah. Is, is he going to be there for the big games, for the tight games, and make those mm-hmm. big saves? I mean, he's a great kid. He's a, you know, he's had a lot of success. Obviously, in the regular season, do you kind of maybe see a little chink? Now you look at Barazzi over there too, up and down as far as playoff appearances with Columbus. You know, um, been a part of some spectacular, uh, you know, first round wins, or at least you know the series against Pittsburgh that year and everything else. And uh, he, I think he may end up being more of a difference for Florida if they get deep, as opposed to if Freddie gets deep. You know, I hate to knock him, but there's a little bit there. And obviously, it, it's 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 what have you done for me lately? And and I just saw mm-hmm. a little bit about there. I want to get your take on on those two netminders. Yeah, you know, Bob, Bob's fascinating because he was he's looked bad since he signed with Florida. You know, for the most part. But like this last, I think this last year and a half, he's been really. Not quite the he's not the Vezina level Bob, but like he's been a lot. He's been so much better, you know. Because I because I think even going into this season, a lot of people thought Spencer Knight was going to take that net over in Florida, and Bob was just like, "Nope, not this year, pal. Like that ain't happening." Bob's been really good, uh, and Freddie Anderson, man, I love Freddie. Fre- you know, Freddie's a dynamite dude, and you know he's such a he's such a calm. He's like the calm, you know, quiet goalie. Like he's just, he's, you know, he's not flashy. He doesn't do anything wild. He doesn't, you know, shoot his mouth off after games or in practice or anything like that. But he's nice and cool and easy going. But that, that, that goal from Ekblad yep. in overtime so last night is a bad one. Like that's, that's a bad one. The, the Reinhardt tying goal, like I can't, I can't really fault him on that. You know, they got the goalie pulled. They got, you know, they're attacking with six guys. Pucks, you know, pucks loose, you know, bounces out to the side. Reinhardt's right there. Like, okay, you know, you're, you're going to lose track of somebody in a six on five situation. You know, like that's, that's just going to happen. Like it's a, it's a numbers game. Like yeah, you're not, you're not, you know, you can't do anything about that. But, um, but yeah, that's, but I, you know what? I, I'm, I'm totally fence sitting on this because the Panthers have done this all year. You know, they get down. They get down in games and then they come roaring right back. And, you know, it was, you know, it was two one going into the final minute of the game and you're just kind of like, all right, let's see what they got. And it wasn't looking, it wasn't good looking good for a while there in the third period. But then, you know, sure enough, pull the goalie, Reinhardt's right there on the doorstep, tie it up. And it's like, 
yep, same Panthers doing it again, man. And then you know, <laughs> they win it 16 seconds in, you know, 16 seconds in overtime. And it's like, geez, they did it again. Like they're, there's something like seven and two in games. They trail. Uh, I don't know if it's games. They trail going into the third or something like that. It's, it's some crazy number uh, where they just, you can't like, there is, there is zombie. You gotta, you gotta put them down with a headshot. You know, yeah. you gotta, you gotta double tap the Panthers to, to knock them out of a game because if you don't, they're going to come right back and they're going to find a way in because they got there's too much talent on that team. Barkov's incredible. Huberto's having a great season. You know, Reinhardt's out of you know, Reinhardt's in like a 90 point pace, you know, and that's just, that's just a handful. You know, Duclair has been, you know, fantastic for them. You know, the, you know, Ekblad's been super, all these guys, you know, Radko Gudis has, you know, become like a, a fan favorite down there because he's, you know, he's such a sandpapery, you know, borderline dirty kind of player. Like that's, you, you need that element on a team. Like people hate, hate hearing that stuff, but you kind of do. Yeah. Can't have, you can't have 20 gentlemen out there playing hockey because you're going to get pushed around, but you need somebody to be out there to be like, all right, that guy's out there. Keep your head up or, you know, watch your knees or whatever the case is, you know? <laughs> uh, so that, you know, that, I, I'm waffling on Freddie. I want to. I, I want Freddie to have, a, a, you know, a, a really solid playoff because I want all the Leaf stuff to kind of, you know, get get off his back because the Leaf, you know, Leafs played him a ton. Mike Babcock played him a ton of games. Yeah. You know, I think there was like one season he started 65 games or something like that. It was just like, get the guy a backup, please. Like, you don't want him burned out by the playoffs, and then sure enough, playoffs come around and he looks burned out. So, you know, as long as you know, as long as Ronta stays healthy and he can spell spell yeah. Freddie. And keep keep him rested and ready for the playoffs. I think Carolina will be fine, but that Ekblad goal is gonna stick in my memory for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, more to come. There's no doubt about it. Um, a lot of fun games on the schedule here tonight. Uh, you know, just real quick, the Islanders might become sellers here. Uh, they got they host uh, the the Bruins here tonight. Fun game at the Garden the other night between the Rangers and the Bruins. Went into the uh, the shootout. Uh, uh, Cam Miller just scored a great goal. It was great for him. Mm-hmm. And Chesty's just feel, playing great. I love that somebody made a Twitter comp, comment the other day. It was great. It said, uh, Rangers going from Lundquist to Shesterkin is just ridiculous, you know? <laughs> it's mean. It's like, yeah, not, it it, it's like the Sabres going from Hashik to Miller back, you know, yeah. early 2000s. It's like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> it's unfair. You shouldn't be able to go from Vezina guy to Vezina guy like that. Yeah, it's crazy. So good stuff there. Uh, Bergeron is back with the Islanders tonight. And like I said, the Islanders, you know, I mean, losing the Sabres, yeah, it's just – they're just a little couple of row here. They're back home. But, you know, not a lot of time left. It's pretty much probably done. And it'd be interesting to see what happens with uh, Lou and the Isles and what they ended up doing here uh, at the trading deadline. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. Um, I mean, and, and looking at the East here, too, with the, with these games here going on tonight and, you know, the, the Flyers uh, with the Caps tonight. And you figure the Flyers are, you know, everybody's waiting to see if, if Giroux is going to be moved. Um, mm-hmm. Rangers have a good one against Detroit here, playing pretty well for themselves as far as a team that's turning around, young squad. Um, I want to acknowledge Sid getting 500. He's playing the Leafs tonight. Uh, just a quick take on him hitting that milestone. It's about time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sid's, Sid's been robbed of so many games through his career, uh, you know, from injuries and stuff. But uh, it's it's really nice to see him crack that list. Not that there was any threat of him not going, you know, eventually ending, ending up in the Hall of Fame. Like if he didn't get to 500 goals, you'd be like, well, who cares? <laughs> so what? He's done everything else. He, he doesn't need to hit, you know, milestone markers for that. But it just cements more of his legacy. You know, I, you know he's he's the best. He's the best all round guy, you know, of, of that time. You know, Ovechkin's the greatest goal scorer 
I mean, Ovechkin might be the greatest goal scorer of all time at this rate, but uh, but but Crosby's the the better all around offensive guy. And, you know, the fact that he was able to, to, to get to 500, you know, finally, and I'm joking when I say that, I'm obviously not serious. Like, geez, took you long enough, Sid. I'm <laughs> not doing that stuff, but like, it's nice. It's, it's great to see that because, you know, the, you know, Sid's spent a lot of his career just getting dogged by a lot of fans by, you know, for, you know, for being a whiner, this, that, or the other thing people root against him. Like the guy's the, he's the best in the league, man. Like he's, yep. he's the best that we've seen. In a since Gretzky, honestly, like he's he's that good. And, you know, I know McDavid's McDavid's going to have to do some work to equal that He probably will come pretty close to it, if not exceed it. But like people don't understand and they don't appreciate how damn good Crosby's been, you know, from the get go. Like he's he's just incredible. And it's 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 always nice to see great players hit milestones like that where you can sit, you can step back and appreciate everything they've done. Yeah, no, it's great stuff, and uh, we're we're lucky to continue to watch him, and I think him and guys like Ovi are still playing on such a, a great level, and that's going to make the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs just a lot of fun this year when they come up uh, in a couple of months. Before we wrap up things with uh, some Olympic hockey talk, Joe, um, another cool thing that's happening tonight is uh, Everett Fitzhugh and JT Brown are going to mm-hmm. be the first all-black TV team in NHL history uh, to call a game tonight. Uh, that's the Kraken versus the Jets. It's on TNT tonight. And uh, cheers, bravo, um, long time coming, you know, but congratulations to those two guys. Just uh, great hockey guys, great team. Um, it's exciting to, you know, see, uh, you know, Everett come in with the Kraken this year and JT mm-hmm. as well. And, um, I'll be checking into that later on tonight when I get home from my, my gig later, but, uh, <laughs> uh just a, a quick take on that. Uh, those are two of my favorite dudes going JT Brown. I've, I've been a big JT Brown fan for a while and, um, you know, super guy like, and super tuned in for like, you know, real life stuff. Like he's, you know, the one guy who's been trying, who's tried to speak up about those things in the past. I mean, he got a lot of heat for, for kneeling during the anthem the one time. And, you know, it was just like, you know, we're not going to get into that, but like, you know, he was, he's justified in doing that stuff and, and, you know, standing up for, for everything. And also he's a big dork. Like he's, he's, a, he's a big like Twitch streamer. He loves playing you know, like, playing video games online. Like, couldn't ask for a more fun guy like that. And and Everett, I got to meet Everett a couple of years ago when he was working for the Cincinnati Cyclones. Uh, I was I was at a game. Uh, you know, it was a Brampton. Uh, it was a, it was I think it was a Brampton game, uh, ECHL game because I was up there to see Uko Pekka Lukanen. He was playing for Cincinnati and I was up there to see him and I had to talk to, you know, and Everett was basically the PR guy I had to work with. So, you know, and where I, where I ended up sitting in the box was like right in front of where Everett was, was sitting there calling the game because oh, very you know, cool ECHL level, you're doing every, like if you're the yeah. press guy, if you're the PR guy, you're the broadcaster, you're, you're everything. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I got to listen to him call a game on top of, you know, talking to him between periods and, and whatever. So just an awesome, awesome dude. And like when he got announced that he got the cracking job, I was like, Oh, that's, that's friggin' great. Cause <laughs> dudes, but you know, when you work at that level and you're doing everything, you're wearing every hat, yeah. you work your freaking ass off, man. Mm-hmm. And like, Everett, Everett's he's gone all out, man. And to see him get this, to, to get that job in Seattle is so good. And to see these guys are getting a call a game together. I love it. I, I can't wait to watch. Yeah, it's exciting, man. I'm uh, really looking forward to it. And, and congrats to those guys. And 
again, anybody out there, just, you know, keep working your ass off and, and good things will eventually come to you. And it's uh, those two guys, no doubt about it, is uh, a great example of it. All right, last thing real quick, Joe, before we say goodbye today, and um, we're going to take a break next week because I am going to actually down to see McJesus play Stamkos. Uh, on Wednesday night down in Tampa. Um, you'll have to let me know. Text me if you want me to bring something back for you. Okay. Um, but the bring United the States back. men's team, out. Canadian men's yeah. team, out. The Canadian women's, congratulations. They beat the U.S. Uh, women's team last night for the gold. Everybody knows as far as the women's, it's always between those two, and it will probably mm-hmm. always be that way for the foreseeable yep. future as far as women's Olympics ice hockey is concerned. Um, I don't want to focus on that too much. It's not to take away from it. Congratulations. Right. It's, but let's not be, let's not, it's the same, it's the same game every four years and it just goes back and forth between who <laughs> wins that. On the men's side, you can definitely say, obviously the NHL was supposed to go here this time around. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to beat up on the kids too much and the organizations or the coaches, you know, because, you know, this wasn't in place. And they had to kind of put this all together. You know, from everything from the juniors getting canceled and all these kids losing that opportunity, and then they had to kind of put everything back and then the whole travel out there and everything else. And, mm-hmm. you know, granted, they're the they're the favorites, U.S., Canada, and they're out and they're done. And Slovakia gets through and, and Sweden gets through, which is, you know, not really the biggest thing in the world. Sweden's a great team. But it's kind of weird not to see either of these teams medal. This year, mm-hmm. so just a little your your take on on where things have fallen for both the Canadian men's uh, Olympic teams. Yeah, it's uh, it, it I gotta say it's funny, it's funny because uh, when the U.S. lost their game to Slovakia in a shootout, you know it was you know Miroslav Shatan you know sent that video out of the kids watching yeah, you know, watching awesome. the shootout in practice. Super, I, I love seeing stuff like that because listen, Slovakia has been through a lot of crap. And mm-hmm. their developmental system is, you know, they, they hit a lull there for a while. So they were struggling a, a bit, but they got some real nice young players now. So that was cool to see, you know, shootout loss things. And, you know, Canadian fans were, were kind of taking a victory lap like, oh, U.S., ha, 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 ha. And then <laughs> two and a half hours later, they're getting, shut, they're getting shut out to nothing. You and were it's like, saying? No. Oh, well, <laughs> this is awkward, isn't it? So, I, you know, you know I, I, I can't bury anybody too hard about this. Like it's, I, I'm, I can appreciate the U S going with a much younger lineup, you know, like that. I, I don't need to see old. I don't need to see a ton of old washed out guys. You know, I don't, I don't need to see a bunch of guys that have been playing in Europe for, for a few years. No, you know, not knocking them. Like that's, it's nothing against them, but like we were promised NHL players on every team. Yeah. I want, that's what I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, good for those guys getting to getting to play in the Olympics and represent their country. It's probably it's it, for for most of them. It's probably a once in a lifetime chance. Yep. Uh, it's disappointing for them, but like this happened four years ago too. Like this, you know, the same thing happened in, in Pyeongchang. So th- there's that. And in Canada's case, I got a beef with Canada because they they went to the mat to get uh, Devin Levi from Northeastern University, who just happens to be a Sabres prospect, a goalie. Mm-hmm. And they went to the mat to try to get him to join the team. And they were just like, hey, come on, you got to play. You know, you, you know we're going to get you here. Like, it'll, you know, it'll be great. They didn't play him a single game. <laughs> you know, you go that hard to get a goalie out there. And Levi's having an unreal season with Northeast. He's got eight shutouts. He's he's one of the best goalies in the country. And you bring so him in there. they took him know, all the way to China to watch the games. To watch every game from the bench. Like, 
play him, play him against China. Do something. Give him a game. You know, like and you know, like their their starter got injured. Like, okay, well, you got to play Levi now, right? Nope, nope. We got to play Matt Tompkins, who's been playing in Europe. Like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't understand the point of taking young guys and just letting them not play. Like, I I don't know if you're doing that for the experience or whatever, but I don't know. Like, you're. I don't know if that. I don't know if that's overconfidence and thinking like, ah, we can, we'll be fine. We don't need to do that. We don't, you know, we can just do this with whoever, but pride goeth before the fall, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's, that's the way it goes sometimes. And, you know, I feel bad for Devin because like he basically just got like three or four weeks without having a, without playing a game. Like that's, now, yeah. now he's got to go back to Northeastern, mm-hmm. you know, after playing, you know, after being, well, they China, got a game left. Well, they're gonna have, well, yeah, well, I think he'll be back in time for playoffs, uh, for hockey East playoffs. But like, they just missed him for like you know the last few weeks. So you know, I'm sure Northeastern would love to have that. They probably could have used them in the Beanpot final. That might have worked out pretty good. Like they end up losing the BU in the Beanpot final. So I don't know, man. I'd be kind of, I'd be kind of, be kind, I'd be really pissed if I was Northeastern. I'd be really annoyed if I'm Devin Levi. Like I, it's like, man, I could have, I could have been at home on my couch playing games and then possibly winning a beanpot title. Like Northeastern yep. never wins the beanpot. It's always B or BC. You know, it's very rare. I think Northeastern won it just like within the last couple of years. It's the first time in like 25 years, somebody other than BC or Boston university won it. So I don't know. I, that's tremendously frustrating. I, I was really hoping to see him. Owen power is playing great. That's super, but he's one guy, one yep. guy, you know, one guy ain't going to carry you. Like that's the thing. Yep. Kind of like the Edmonton Oilers, but ain't that the truth? What are you gonna do? Well, I'm gonna go see uh, Drysaddle McDavid, and uh, I don't still don't even know the name of the head coach. But anyway, <laughs> go see uh, Sergachev and Kucherov and Vasilevsky and all those boys, and check out their tans. And I'm hoping to get a tan too next week. I'll bring you something back, Joe. And as always, brother, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, enjoy the Daytona 500 this weekend. I'm sure you're gonna be glued to that, and. Uh, when we get back too, we'll obviously have the uh, the Predators and the Lightning in the uh, the outdoor game too. So that'll be fun to talk about. Yeah, well, uh, it, it's my birthday on Saturday, Paulie. So Woo! I don't know how much of the Daytona 500 I'm really going to see. Well, <laughs> if I'm seeing any of it, maybe things didn't really go so great. Well, happy birthday, brother, from all of us Thanks, here at buddy. THS. We love you, man. Have a great love weekend. You too, Paulie. It's good. To, it's good to be around. All right, brother. Take care. Joe Yard, ladies and gentlemen, from the great city of Buffalo. Right here on THS. And THS rolls on. Well, all right, all right, all right. It's time to head out to the great city of Chicago. And bring in our buddy, the great Mr. Tab Bamford. Fresh off the Rams and the Bengals. I, I assume, I haven't asked him yet, but he's probably won... Millions of dollars, something like that. But we'll get into that, and of course, lots of puck talk right here on THS. Tam, welcome back. What's up, brother? You know, some of us just want to be Dennis Bernstein when we grow up, but the rest of us just watch the parades on social media, watch the game on TV, uh, and try desperately via crappy video and images on social media to figure out what exactly the cigars were that the Rams were smoking. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, I, I think what's so entertaining about the Super Bowl, especially for those of us that love, 
the other major sports in the U.S. and Canada is Stanley Cup Final, World Series, NBA. You've got seven games, right? So if you crap the bed in game one, you adjust. You make some lineup adjustments. Baseball, you got a different pitcher going. You can switch goalies. Um, injuries happen, and they and and you figure out how you're going to work around that in the next game. Uh, football, it's all or nothing in one day. Yep. And you've got to be your absolute dead level best for four hours or five hours, depending on how long halftime goes, to <laughs> uh, figure out how to win the day. And you only have to win one day. Uh, and I think that's what makes it so compelling. So it's fun to watch the Super Bowl. Uh, I thought it was uh, a pretty good game with a couple of fun stories. It was, you know, as somebody in Chicago that watched Matthew Stafford get his tail whipped for more than a decade in Detroit, good for him for getting a ring. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll see what the off season brings for them. But uh, now we transition our eyes to playoff runs in hockey and basketball, and wait for baseball to take their heads out of their posteriors and figure that out. So. Hopefully we can get a season going there. But, you know, the the nice thing about talking puck right now is the NBA's trade deadline has come and gone before their all-star game. And we've got what five weeks until we uh, we see what how the dust is going to settle for a playoff run in the National Hockey League this year. So, um, and we've, you know, now we've got the Olympics in the books, too, so. Uh, nothing to focus on on the ice other than the National Hockey League at this point. I mean, the KHL season's over, too. So, <laughs> you know, in, in Russia, season cancels you. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, no, nothing but the NHL to care about right now. So, good good times to chat some puck. Yeah, no doubt about it. Before we get into the, to, to the league here uh, in North America, just to maybe put a cap on um, the Olympics here and get your take. Obviously, congrats to the Canadian women's team beating the U.S. And look, every, let's you know, I was telling, talking to Joe about it. It's no surprise. It's always the U.S. and Canada as far as the women's game is concerned. Uh, Canada wins. Congrats to the uh, to the ladies there. It's their turn this year, and we'll see what happens in the next four years uh, at the next the next Super Bowl between the U.S. and uh, Canadian women's teams. Uh, in ice hockey in the Olympics. As far as the men's side here, something we're kind of not used to as far as both Canada and the United States being out. Neither of them are going to medal here. And, um, you know, a couple of upsets, you know, between Sweden and then obviously Slovakia winning in the shootout. A lot of things to play in here as far as, you know, the, the NHL was supposed to be there. Um, you know, as far as Canada and I guess all the, the, the national countries pretty much had to readjust, uh, change their lineups, the kids, the travel, uh, the coaching, uh, everything changed and everything. So they get over there. It's a long fight, all that stuff. But anyway, in its simplest forms, two of the big monsters, as far as the hockey world is concerned, and as far as the you know development of hockey players and hockey stars, are out. And, Tab, I just wanted to know, uh, how does that make you feel? Um, you know, I, I think the fact that the NHL is still playing right now and TV viewership would bear this out, I'm not sure how many hockey fans really care. Yeah. I mean, I really don't. I mean, I, look, as, as someone that keeps an eye on the Chicago Blackhawks, seeing how Drew Camesso, uh, Boston University goaltender who started a few games for the United States, seeing how he played as a 19-year-old on the U.S. team was interesting. He's a Blackhawks prospect. Um, I thought he looked pretty good. 
in the action that he got. So, um, you know, you know they, they announced this morning the IHF is they're moving the World Juniors to this summer. Uh, Gary Bettman's talked about putting uh, hockey, ice hockey, uh, as an Olympic sport in the summer, like they do basketball, to avoid the conflict with the season. But Ted, that's a definite. Uh, they're, they're, the, the tournament that they were supposed to have in December, January, they're going to give these kids another run at it this uh, summer. Yeah, they're, oh, they're pushing fantastic. it back to the summer. So that's we'll get awesome. some World Junior, which is great. Um, I think I hope that they leave the birthdays the same, so that you can have pretty much the same rosters going at it. But I mean, look, and, and the other thing that's interesting too is, you know, do the rosters have to stay the same, or can they adjust? Because some NHL clubs might feel more open to sending guys who were playing professionally uh, to the tournament uh, if their seasons are over and getting them some extra run over the summer. Some other teams might not want their guy getting more run. So we'll see how that plays out. But I'm glad we're getting the World Juniors back. But the, the rock and the hard place with the Olympics here is that, you know, especially when you look back at, at 2000 and 2004, th- those tournaments were so good. And loaded with so many players. And when you look at it from, especially selfishly, us in the U.S., you know, the reality that there's a chance that this could have been the last time Patrick Kane could have played. Yeah. Um, And there's some other guys, maybe a T.J. Oshie, who's been so incredible in Olympic tournaments and international tournaments. Might have been the last run for some of those guys. And I think the U.S. was looking at a changing of the guard more so than even Canada, though Canada's roster would have had some significant turnover. You would have had a Connor McDavid instead of a Jonathan Taves this time. Um, and so going realistically 12 years without Olympic hockey and missing two uh, with no NHLers, you're going to have a completely different generation of hockey players playing in the next Winter Olympics. And the fact that they were playing in Beijing and if you stayed up and, and busted out the coffee late night to watch that women's game, which was terrific, I did, and I'm dragging ass because of it today, but <laughs> it was worth it. Um, you know, the fact that if you were going to watch a, you know, a live game, it's 11 o'clock Eastern, unless you're a guy, Dennis Bernstein, and it start, you know, puck drops at whatever that is, 8, eight o'clock, he's out by the pool with the TV watching a game with his victory dance. Um, hey, we gotta but, hold on, we gotta fill everybody in on on if all listeners out there. If you don't know who Dennis Bernstein is, okay. First of all, he's um he's I don't know. Tab, you could take it away. He's just a uh, you know if if they needed a replacement for the guy who did the uh, the Dosakis beer commercial, the most interesting man in the world. Yes. you know if Dennis had a beard, he would probably be that guy. But a real backstory: the reason me and Tab have, have gotten to know each other and, and we're doing this hockey show, and, and Tab's mentioned too, we we do a baseball show together. Is, we're both kind of you know acquaintances with Dennis Bernstein, and, and Dennis is just a man amongst men, and uh, man, he's he's all over the place in radio and writing and stuff. But we just want to let everybody know when we throw the Dennis Bernstein name in there, you know, there's a real serious, uh, there's a real serious, there's a real guy behind this. Yeah, and, and and Kings of the Pod, the podcast that he does with John Hoven, the mayor, is terrific. If you're a Kings fan, if you're out mm-hmm. there on the on the West Coast. Give them a listen. No, Dennis is the guy, and I I met him more than a decade ago with the fourth period, and he is just an international man of intrigue. <laughs> he's he's Austin Powers who had he braces. He could be the new Bond. Haircut. Holy crap! Uh, but yeah, so no, Den, Dennis is a friend of the program. He's a, he's a wonderful dude. I texted him when the Rams won that I want to be him when I grow up. 
is in the stadium. He's a Ram season ticket holder. Uh, has covered the Kings incredibly well for years, and he's Does one of those guys. That stuff too, yeah. If you are a, a you know an LA Kings fan or a hockey fan at large, he's one of those guys that is a must follow yep. on Twitter. So uh, great dude. Uh, we love busting his chops because, like I said, he's a friend of the program and and just a great dude. But um, but yeah, he he would be watching you know the medal round of the Olympics late evening where the two of us are you know. <laughs> hitting Duncan after dinner just to try and <laughs> drag through to one in the morning to see the ring ceremony. But uh, at least they handed medals out for, for hockey. It's not like figure skating uh, oh, you know, where, uh, you know, the, the Russians are recruiting people out of Scarlett Johansson's friendship on the Avengers <laughs> series to go skate as 15 year olds, but whatever. Um, oh man. But no, I, I, you know, circling back to the Olympic conversation, I think it, it's going to be interesting to see when it comes back. Obviously, there were a lot of players. Brad Marchand was pretty outspoken about, screw it, I'll go anyway. Um, but I think the long-term health of the National Hockey League, it was best that they didn't go this year. There are plenty of games to make up, unless you're the New Jersey Devils, who are off until the 24th of February because they're already at 50 games played and don't really have uh, you know, much playoff chance to chase. But they certainly have some young players that are playing really well. Um, but they needed to make up a lot of games in the two weeks that they would have been down for the Olympics are affording them an opportunity to catch up, get some guys healthy and keep the season moving so that they can end on time. And I think when you look at the financial longevity of the national hockey league, I think it's good for both the owners and the players that they keep the game moving and try and get back to normal next year with butts and seats everywhere, uh, and, and healthy players, uh, around the league. So, um, it was tough to, to not have them out there, but it, it was interesting. You look at the U.S. roster, you had college kids who were still teenagers, and then you had some, some guys that you remember from back in the day. Uh, and it was just it was an interesting mix. You know, Canada with Claude Julien, uh, you know, you had injuries to the coaching staff. You had injuries to the <laughs> players. Jeremy Calton's out there running stuff for a while. God bless. And so... Uh, just the lack of NHL players, the time difference, you know, I, again, the TV ratings are showing that there just wasn't a lot of buy-in because you could watch your team play at seven o'clock at night and go to bed and you were watching the hockey that you really care about. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully the NHL is able to get back in four years. We'll see if it's in four years or if they are able to move it to the summer, I think it would be great for them to move it to the summer. But again, that comes back to the conversation about, you know, the players have had issues with like a World Cup of hockey at the end of the season uh, or even an in-season tournament um, because they care about their paychecks, too, and, and want to stay healthy and how many guys are going to be healthy. And you've seen it with basketball, you know, short of the dream team. You know, you've had guys that didn't necessarily want to go because they were tired after a long season. You NBA have... plays as many games as the NHL does. You wonder... I mean, obviously, the, the NHL season is so long. The only quick example I could think about, maybe, the, look, if it hasn't been looked at now, it's never going to be looked at. But you look at um, the Premier League or European soccer, right, where in the midst of the, the regular the season for those guys, they will have not only F, the FA Cup, but they will also have the, uh, the Championship League games where players yeah. will actually, they'll break and they'll leave for a week and they'll go play with their specific countries. 
to play specific games to for the brackets to eventually play for the European Championships League. And you, you, you wonder, I mean, obviously with travel and everything else, you're talking about if you did it in North America, you'd have to bring all the European players all over from Europe to come in here and then play a game and then come back. So it's not, it's a continental game for them in Europe to be able to do that. It would have been, it would be amazing if they could do something like that here, but obviously logistically it's impossible because that would be a great thing to see. I mean, it's unfortunate you know, I, I think the reason that they can't have the World Cup or they can't do a, a, a country versus country thing is because of the, and obviously we got to put the, the the two COVID seasons here behind us, moving forward here. Obviously the the breakup with the, the the Olympics here this year, but even once they get a regular NHL season back on track here next year with regular training camp schedules and and everything else, and and you know even the Canadian team still got to catch up with you know what's going on with the COVID mandates up there and. Of them, but down the road, even if they plotted it, they did something every two years. Yeah, you know, uh, to uh, to maybe try and make this happen because you know it, it is fun to watch. And you know, it's fun. I t- last thing on for me on the Olympics, I took for granted. It's not that I always love watching even the kids and the juniors. I'm really excited that about that news that they're going to have the tournament in the summer, the summer. That's awesome for those kids. But I took for granted that the United States and the Canadian teams were going to get into the medal games. And yeah. that's when I was going to tune in. And, you know, when they both were knocked out there the other night, it just kind of hit me as a surprise, you know. But I'm with you because the regular season's going on here and just because of – there was this lack of interest up until the point where I just really didn't care about the round-robin games and the setup stuff. Once we got into the middle games, that's when I was going to stay up late and watch the games. But they're gone now, and it's just kind of weird. Yeah, well, I, I think the only fan base that was really buying in – was the University of Michigan because half of their team was over there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it is interesting. You know, I, part of me wonder, and, and here's the other rock in the hard place. Selfishly, as North Americans, I think we would love to have the Olympics somewhere in North America every four years or every yeah. two years. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly we've got the infrastructure to do it. Not every city wants to do it. Um, and, it's again, it's a selfish want. The rest of the world should have every right to chase the Olympics and, and, you know, spend more money than they have on infrastructure that they may or may not be able to use or want to use after, you know, a month of glorious athletic endeavor. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, you know, maybe, maybe you look at having a, a World Cup style tournament in season uh, every few years, uh, instead of an all-star game. Yeah. I mean, the all-star game, they've tried different formats. I well, think make the, the all-star on- game. They did that a few years back, right? Make it, uh, yeah. between the te- the players that are here and, yeah. and give it a national thing. Yeah. But I think, you know, that's one where I think the players would get up for it. Um, I think that there would be a lot of fan intrigue. You obviously got NHL rinks where you'd be able to play it. So, Maybe you shut it down instead of for five days. You shut it down for two weeks, and you have a you know a, an Olympic style tournament where the NHL players are able to play for their country that way. And you find some way for the NHL or the IAHF to buy into it, um, and maybe you call that the World Championships instead of having that after the season, um, and try because I think the world championships would benefit from engaging more NHL players than the guys that are knocked out of the playoffs and show up halfway through. Also, it isn't like, you know, Connor McDavid doesn't make the playoffs every year and he's the only guy skating for Canada. (laughs) So, 
Um, poor Edmonton. But no, it's like, but I think there's there's got to be a way that we can resolve this thing and get guys playing for their country because it's great to watch watching these guys from different rosters come together and bond and play together and you get rooting interests and everything else. So I think it would be fun, but we've got some time now to kind of flip the script back to the NHL and focus on what's going on in the ice. And certainly I think you've, you started to see now, you know, we've talked about this for a while on the show and we start poking at trade rumors. The Tyler Toffoli deal, I think is just going to open the door. Uh, Calgary made a big deal. Um, and I think you're going to start seeing more teams get active earlier than waiting until the end of March because they want to find a way for these guys to integrate and see how it works and evaluate. Because the hardest thing after the trade deadline every year is you wait until the last second, you pull the trigger on a deal, and then you got you know a few weeks to figure out what your rotation looks like before the playoffs start. And I think this year, especially with some of the COVID concerns and making up games and everything, all the other background stuff that's going on around the National Hockey League, I think you're going to want to see guys get in the room, see how it fits, start building some chemistry, and then see if there are other pieces that you need. Because sometimes one move could and should lead to another to fill another gap. Uh, maybe someone gets, you know, they lose their job because yeah. somebody comes in. Maybe... Uh, you know, maybe you find that you traded the wrong defenseman and now you got to go fill a hole on the blue line. So um, I think you're going to start seeing more and more moves going and you're starting to see some of the rumors start to pick up and percolate. So it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, no, it's a, it, it's a great time. I mean, if you if you start with, um, you know, Eichel coming back last night, get your take on that. But that Vegas-Colorado uh, game was just a lot of fun uh, to watch last night. I got to at least watch the first two periods of that game. Um, I mean, you bring up the Flames here, eight in a row to Foley. Just a great team that's uh, – you got to take them seriously now as far as a Western Conference favorite. You know, and you, you look at that game last night, and I'll get your take on it as far as, you know, how things are rounding up with, you know, uh, Minnesota, uh, St. Louis here, and what's going on here at uh, the top of the Pacific as well, too, and who's going to be bouncing around. Nashville as well, too, playing good. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on. But um, your, your take on Eichel coming back here last night, uh, shut out, obviously – 11 months he hasn't played, you know, just a remarkable here. I think 90 days since the surgery and everything else. Stone obviously out for the Avs. Get your take on that as far as, you know, you know. speaking of the trade deadline, and I'll get your thoughts on the game last night, Michael, everything else, Avalanche too. But also, are, are the Knights in a bit of a bind here as far as what they can or may not be able to do with the trading deadline? Yeah, so let's start with Vegas because I think that's – they might be the most interesting team for me in the entire Western Conference right now. Look, Calgary's 9-1-0 in their last 10. Their loss came to Colorado, who are 8-1-1 in their last 10. Um, Colorado had a rough, bumpy start to the season and then just haven't lost at home in what feels like three months. Um, you know, with 74 points, they're 11 points clear of the entire rest of the Western Conference, cruising to a one-seed plus 58 goal differential. The 193 goals that they've scored in 48 games uh, is 29 more than Calgary has scored. The only other team in the West with a 50 uh, goal, a positive 50 goal differential. Calgary coming into Thursday is plus 52. They've only given up 112, which is an amazing number in, in 47 games. I think those are the two most complete teams. Vegas, again, this is a team that's going to figure out how they integrate 
theoretically a, a top line center, uh, a a captain caliber player into a lineup that has its fair share of issues. I mean, they're five, four and one in their last 10 and they are way over the cap. I mean, they are using LTIR space to make this season happen. And I still think that they're going to have to sell something before the deadline just to get comfortable with the money that's going to roll over. Mm-hmm. And so who, who can they actually afford to move? Because it isn't like this is a, a, a finished product on the ice. It isn't like, You've got a $4 million guy that you can feel comfortable losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're three points back at Calgary now. Calgary's got two games in hand. They're only four points up on Edmonton, and Edmonton's got two games in hand on Vegas. Now, Edmonton you know, suffers that home loss to the Blackhawks. They've won three straight since, but Edmonton's got its fair share of issues, and with 45 or 55 points, rather, in 47 games, they're tied with the Kings and Ducks at 55 points. They've got one in hand on L.A. and three in hand on Anaheim. But you look at those three teams, and you have to like the direction that Anaheim and L.A. are heading more than Edmonton. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last 10, not indicative of that, but I think that the way that the Kings and Ducks have been able to benefit from having young guys step into the lineup is huge. Um, Anaheim's big problem is they've only got 16 regulation wins out of their 23, where Edmonton's got 21 of their 26. So uh, right now Edmonton's sitting third, even though all three have got 55 points in the Pacific. And if I'm Edmonton, I'm, I'm definitely looking at what I can do, but they've got a cap issue there too. They're so financially top-heavy, that's a tough spot. And at 14-11-2 on home ice, they have not taken care of business. I'm sorry, Edmonton's 13-10-0 on home ice. Um, but only three games over 500 on your home ice, you got to be better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at Calgary, 12-4-4. Four, and four. Um, Calgary's hand, And we've talked about Calgary's going to sit at home for most of the month of March. Yep. So you got to get it done on home ice, uh, and Edmonton has not taken advantage of home ice, and that's why they're sitting where they are. So um, and games like the one against the Blackhawks, you can't lose to the Chicago Blackhawks on home ice if you're the Edmonton Oilers. You just can't. Um, so right now, if I'm looking at it, I think Calgary, Colorado is the, you know, the betting favorite for the Western Conference final. And I think they both now have to very reasonably look at each other and say, what do we need to do to beat the beat that guy? Yeah. Um, I do think Colorado needs to be worried about Minnesota. I think that team's absolutely legit. Um, but I'm not sure anybody else in the Central is really going to be able to dance with the depth that Colorado has, um, especially if Bowen Byram can come back and mean anything to him. But they have missed a beat without him. So I, I do think that you're going to have those two teams having a steering contest, and it's going to be fascinating to see how Vegas tries to figure something out with the money issues that they've got and what Edmonton does. I mean, Ed, everybody keeps pointing to Marc-Andre Fleury going to Edmonton, but a goalie's not going to fix what's wrong up there. You're right, yep. Goalie isn't the only problem. And, you know, to have the two best offensive players in the league, I think most people would agree that McDavid and Dreisaitl are the two most dynamic players in the game at this moment. To only have a plus-five goal differential is ridiculous for Edmonton. So um, you've got some teams that have got some some cap issues this year. And then the other team that keeps popping up in the trade rumors is your New York Rangers. And, you know, they've got some cap flexibility right now. But next year, a lot of guys, including Adam Fox, start getting paid. 
Yep. And so are they going to go rental or are they going to look at somebody who's got term and what does that look like? But they're seven and three, seven and three and zero oh in their last 10 and they're sitting right there. Two points back at Carolina uh, and four points back at Pittsburgh. Um, and they, it, I mean, you've got to laugh if you're in the Metro at the Rangers letting Lundquist walk and then just plugging in Shesterkin <laughs> like a oh, ho-hum, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to, you know, beat you with save percentage for the rest of our lives. Yeah. We're uh, quietly enjoying, but you know, I've, I've said it too. It's the big thing about uh, Shesty is, you know, he's got to stay healthy and that'll be the, uh, the interesting thing as far as, you know, them going forward, you know, and uh, you know, hopefully he just, he stays in there because if he does go down, you know, George has a good kid. You know, he's played well in spots when he's been given, you know, when he's had to go and play 10, 11 games. Um, but, um, you know, that's, that's look, if right now, Rangers are rolling with it. And anything they're doing this year, Tab, after what happened last season, you know, we're all sitting here, at least most of us as far as Ranger fans, looking up and go, wow, 31 season, new coach. Hey, um, you know what, though, Paul? We talk about getting it done on home ice. At Madison Square Garden, they're 16-4-2. Yeah, I mean, they're playing great. They really I mean, really the, and again, like Pittsburgh, like God bless how they're now two points up on Carolina and Carolina's got three games in hand. We'll see how that plays out. But Pittsburgh keeps stringing these win streaks together and taking advantage of where they can in the schedule. And that I think that's what makes Pittsburgh um, so and Tampa both so consistently dangerous. Oh, yeah. I, you know, we just said Edmonton, you can't lose on home ice to the Chicago Blackhawks. And it seems like whenever Pittsburgh and Tampa go out there, 80, 90% of the time, the games on paper that they're supposed to win, they do. And that's that's what gets you to the top of the division in the National Hockey League is if you win the games you're supposed to and then steal a few that are kind of on the fence or games that theoretically you should lose, that's how you end up a playoff team. And too many teams don't take care of the games that they're supposed to win. So... Uh, you know, big game tonight, uh, you know, with looking at some of the teams that are kind of floating around that middle of the pack. You know, the good news, Thursdays are always fun for the National Hockey League because you get loaded up. And with the NBA going to their all-star break, you know, you've got a lot of hockey to focus on. And, you know, I look at the Islanders and, and Bruins tonight as a game that, the way the Islanders have, have started to pick things up and where Boston's at fourth in the Atlantic, that's a game that I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes tonight because, you know, Boston is 4-4-2 four, four, and two in their last 10. The Islanders are 3-7-0 and oh in their last 10. You know, the Bruins may be feeling pretty comfortable with an eight-point lead and, you know, three games in hand on Detroit. And you look at the goal differentials again, positive for the top four, negative for the bottom four in both divisions in the East. But, you know, that's a game that I think tonight is interesting to me because Boston is a team that I don't think they want to just sneak in and get their tail whipped by Florida. That's usually not how Boston rolls. And we've talked about with Bergeron, you know, coming up against it here and some of the other trade rumors that have swirled around them. Tuka Rask retiring. You know they're kind of in a spot where they're in the worst position possible, as far as I'm concerned, in team sports, and that is good enough to get in the playoffs, but no real championship possibility. You're not getting in the draft lottery, but you're not going to win anything either. 
and you've got some guys that are coming up to free agency that you're going to have to make some serious decisions with in the not-too-distant future. So I'm keeping an eye on Boston and the Rangers in the Eastern Conference to be two teams that should really think long and hard about what they do at the deadline and how they can either augment and go for it or you know, are you at a place where you, you ride it out and see how it plays through and take what you get? But I think the Rangers much more than than the Bruins. The Rangers, I think, are kind of in striking distance in a division that can be had, and they've got enough young depth, especially on the blue line, that they could do some interesting things um, and have the cap space this season to make a dent and really go for it. So we shall see. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's a huge game for the Islanders tonight. I mean, Bergeron comes back for Boston. You know, they can kind of put another nail in the Islanders' coffin with the two points tonight if they win it. The Islanders pull this game out at home, and if you're just looking ahead real quick, they should go into, you know, they'll be home against the Habs. They should win that game. And no disrespect to Seattle. I was at the game there two weeks ago. Seattle came in and, and snuffed the Islanders out. But they, you, you got to look at points for the Islanders. They have to look at what's on front ahead of them right now. So if they can get two tonight against Boston and gain a little bit, and then Montreal, and then maybe squeak one out against Seattle, and then you know they they could probably competitively play, play against the Sharks, the Kings, and Anaheim on that road trip. And if they can pad some points here before they come back home, they got a bunch of home games here uh, in March. It's huge. I think if you know after losing to uh, Buffalo and the Calgary and Edmonton three straight here for the Isles, if they lose tonight, I want to ask you this too, Tab. Is maybe the Islanders start thinking about becoming sellers now, as far as their situation, because it, it's pretty much almost over here for the Islanders. Well, let's be real. Like they've got eight games in hand on Washington, who right now is sitting fourth in the Metro. But they're 23 points back. So they would really need to, you'd have to think back to when the Blues went from dead last sellers to winning the Stanley Cup. You'd need that kind of an inspired run from these Islanders. Can they do that? I mean, that we've seen it happen before, but it feels pretty naive to say that that's something that can be replicated. Um, they've got games that they can win. I mean, obviously Montreal coming in, you know, zero wins in their last 10 just a complete gong show, 191 goals against in 48 games, a negative 85 goal differential. I mean, it's a mess with Montreal. But here's, here, where I'm at with the Islanders and, and where they're fascinating for me is, you're right, Like, I think trying to tell them after Valentine's Day that 23 points on a Washington team that I, on paper certainly has more firepower than they do is doable feels naive. Um but but the question becomes, with eight games in hand, how how much do they really go for it, or do do they sit in the draft lottery and take their shot? And your question about the trade deadline, if you're the Islanders, look, you went back back to back Eastern Conference Finals, and you pretty much got the same group together, and you've got some young guys that are coming. You know, you talk about the Islanders desperately needing offense. Well, Eturetti is is coming, and I think that he is going to have some spark to give them. 105 goals in 43 games is not getting it done offensively. They need to add something there. But I I don't know if you sell it if you're the Islanders just because you know what this group is capable of. So do you chalk this one up as an outlier where you just had too many COVID problems, you started the season rough and never got it back on track and play through? Or, you know, do you look at moving some guys? And which guys do you really honestly think you're going to be able to move. 
because mm-hmm. you've got term on everybody. Sezekis, long term. I mean, Ross Johnston's got, you know, four years left after this, cheap, a million one, but he's got term. Beauvillier, 4.1 for two more years. Bailey, 5 million for two more years. Peugeot, 5 million for four more years. Paul Mary, who I, I would safely say has been a disappointment this year, three more years at five a pop. Brock Nelson is at six million for three more. Anders Lee, four more at seven. Barzell, one more at seven. And I think I would assume that as a 24-year-old, Barzell is a guy that you're looking at possibly talking extension with this summer. He's an RFA in 23, so you can start talking extension with Barzell this summer. So the question becomes, like, what exactly do you do? Like, is there a market for Zach Parise? I don't know. Who, who, who don't walks so. at 750? Like, is there a market for Parise? Because he would be a guy that I think somebody would be interested in. Um, you know, what's do you even think about, like, is Mart, Matt Martin a guy that you would consider moving with, you know, all of his ties to the New York area? He's a million five cap hit, but he's the kind of physical guy who can play either side up front that would help a team. Um, you know, do you, do you look at moving Chara? and get him another run at something at 44 years old, not knowing how much time he's got left. But, you know, Pelican Pulak injuries have, have hurt their blue line this year that you've got term left with both of them. I don't think Dobson goes anywhere. He's an RFA this summer. Aho, I think he stays put. He's an RFA, but I think you've got some young guys there. But Andy Green and Chara, your two elder statesmen on the blue line, like is there really anybody that's going to want to take a 39 or a 44-year-old? Um, you know, you've got Corey Schneider sitting there on a loan. Verlamov, what what is he? I mean, you you again, you know, Sorokin's got two more at four million a pop, but you've got Verlamov for five next year. Um, so you, you you've got you've just you've got a really ugly mix of ugly contracts. So what exactly does it do for you, and who do you start looking to move? Um, and I don't think you, you tap into the prospect pool to try and bring in somebody to impact it right now because you're 23 points back. So the question is, is there someone on the NHL roster that you can sell for assets that are going to help you improve offensively next year? And who would you actually entertain moving? And for me, I think the only two guys on this roster that I would move for assets, and you're not going to get a lot for them, is Chara and Parise. And I do think that there would be a market for Zach Parise. I think he's got enough left in the tank as a 37-year-old on an expiring deal at a league minimum that somebody somewhere is going to say, yeah, you know what, give, a, give us a little leadership, give us a little grit. He's a bottom six guy now, but he's been there. He's done that. He's a guy that I think you, you could probably look at getting some value for. But it's not going to be an A prospect. It's not going to be a first or probably even a second-round pick. But – I don't know that you, you can sell too much. Nobody's going to touch what Paul Mary's doing at 31 years old with term left at $5 million a pop. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at a guy who's producing like a third, fourth line guy, probably fourth line guy who's got three left at five per. I, just, I don't see that happening. So, you know, it, in a lot of ways, the Islanders feel a lot like the Chicago Blackhawks in that they've got some guys that have skill and term left. But then you've got a grab bag of really fourth-line guys, and you don't have a middle six. And the middle six is where you win. So 
how do they augment that middle six and make it more competitive going forward? And, and maybe you just sit still, you stand pat, you know, Clutterbuck's a UFA, but at 34, you know, I don't think you move Clutterbuck, um, especially if, if you're going to bring Martin back, if you're going to bring Sezikis back, you know, keep, you know, the best fourth line in hockey together keep that sandpaper, but you have to improve the middle six because you can't have two fourth lines. You can't continue to sit around and wait for Matthew Barzell to drive the offense. So you got to improve the middle six. Um, and again, I think Raddy can probably help with that next year and beyond, but you need to find something else. Um, and I don't know if you're going to be able to accomplish that given the paper that they'd be looking to possibly move. It'll be very into very very interesting to see what happens. And I, like I said, I think tonight's game could be um, it could swing one way or the other. I mean, that's a little obvious to say, but it could have huge implications with uh, especially with regards to the uh, the Islanders and their situation uh, right before they um, have one more game here against Montreal and then head out for another West Coast trip that they just came back from, which wasn't too successful. Um, you know, is there? I mean, looking at the East there, I thought the uh, the Panthers and, and um, the Canes last night was a good game, you know, as far as where those teams might end up. And I threw this at Joe, too, and I want to throw it as, uh, at you as well, as far as both of these two teams in the last two years uh, making a lot of adjustments, especially up front, but in the nets, pretty big. Um, Freddie Anderson last night, you know, to me, knowing the guy, not knowing the guy personally, watching him over the years and obviously the run in, in Toronto we had, kind of made had that little, Freddie Anderson, almost like the the, the MO with like Mark Andre Fleury. You know, these guys are great guys. They're great golden editors and stuff. But then sometimes they get a little concerned as far as, you know, um, big moments. And obviously, Mark's had his big moments. He's had his success. He's won a Stanley Cup, obviously. But, you know, from there on out, it was always like, ah, can Mark be there for the big save when they need him? I don't know if, uh, you know, you see a little bit last night with Freddie Anderson uh, with this team if they get deep. And then you have um, Bobrovsky there. In Florida as well, too. Um, not obviously not going deep with the Columbus Blue Jackets in, in the past, and he's got an incredibly talented team here. You know, we talk about you know Pittsburgh and Washington and the Rangers a little bit here on Boston and stuff, and Tampa Bay as far as their plan. But these two um, these two teams here, the Canes and the Panthers, obviously going to be a big part of the mix. So I want to talk about maybe if if those two. Two guys might be a little bit of a weakness or any concern for you as far as those guys coming out of the East. Yeah, I mean, look, those are the two teams. In the, we talked about the two in the West, the two teams in the East that have a goal differential on the north side at 50, or Florida at 56 and Carolina at 51. And Toronto is the only other team over 40 in the Eastern Conference. So Is that, is that weird, Tab? Isn't that terrible? I don't even ma- ma- mention the Maple Leafs. So I just, uh, is it in the back of my mind that I just don't give them a chance at all? No, I mean, I mean there. Look, <laughs> we talk about teams getting it done at home. They're seventeen four and one in Toronto. Um, I think defensively they've been surprisingly good. I mean, one hundred and twenty five goals against in forty six games is terrific. Um, but I, I think this is when you bring up the netminders. I think this is where the Blackhawks situation becomes so fascinating, and where the Blackhawks trying to figure out who the general manager is going to be before the trade deadline. So that person can come in and really wheel and deal with the future in mind is so important because you're right. Freddie Anderson has shown us that he can pitch a shutout any night of the week. He's also shown us that he can give up five pretty easy. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Bob, I think I'm a, I've got a lot more confidence in Bob historically than than Anderson, but um, both of those teams are built to win right now, and frankly, for a number of years moving forward. Um, but you, I, I'm more comfortable with what Florida's doing than Carolina, even though Carolina and that that's in no way, shape, or form should diminish how I feel about Carolina. I think that. Right now, I would put those Carolina and Florida at 1A and 1B in the entire conference. Um, and certainly, I think Florida clinging to a one-point lead on Tampa, the fact that Tampa's going to push them is a big deal. And for Carolina, you know, they've got three games in hand again with Pittsburgh. So by points, they're in second. But I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that they could and should win the Metro. Um but you look at so many of these teams that an elite goaltender could change the entire deal. And Marc-Andre Fleury being in a potential walk year uh, and the Blackhawks not really being a competitive team makes his potential move uh, such a catalyst for everything in the National Hockey League right now. I mean, we talked about the Toffoli deal, uh, but you look at how Calgary's benefited from having the right guy in net and how it's been a game-changer. Um, obviously it's not only a goaltender situation for some teams. I already threw shade at Edmonton that Flurry is not going to change it for them. Washington's been linked to Flurry. That's an interesting proposition. Um, but I, I, I think Florida's good. The fact that they've been able to be as dominant as they have been post Coinville firing, uh, has been a testament to the roster that they have. I mean, Andrew Burnett's a great guy. He's got a lot of experience in the game. Uh, but he's a first-time head coach in the National Hockey League. He's recently retired, and for them to be 23-3-0 at home is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, 24 regulation wins for for Florida already out of 48 games. Uh, you know, the only team in the East that's got, you know, up there, Toronto's got 25, Boston's got 24, Pittsburgh 25, Carolina 28, Rangers 26. So, you, but the, again, you're sorting out the top six. And with the way that COVID's impacted things, all these teams have got different numbers of games played. So it, it's hard to sort out who's got what. But I, I'm, I think Florida and Carolina will be there at the end. I, I, just my gut right now is if I was going to put a final four on the bracket, as we get closer to March for the NHL, I would say Florida, Carolina, Colorado, Calgary. And we've talked about the idea that Flurry and Kemper would be a dynamite combo for Colorado. Um, but I do think, you know, Carolina has to have that itching in the back of their head. What do we, do we need a stronger one B and possible one a in the playoffs with Freddie? Um, or do we keep riding that and, and continue to be confident that the guys in front of them will score enough and, and we can get by. It'll be very interesting because they have uh, zero cap space in Carolina right now. Mm-hmm. Nada. Uh, Anti Ranta, former Blackhawk, uh, sitting as your backup at $2 million a year. Uh, Jake Gardner's on LTIR. Um, the other concern that I would have if I'm Carolina is, and you know, I don't have to tell you as a, as a Rangers guy, uh, that, and, you know, Tony D'Angelo is a ticking time bomb, and you don't know if it's going to go off at some point. But he's been a godsend for him. 
all the personal and character issues aside, you know, we, we talked at the open of the season, how are they going to replace Dougie Hamilton? And D'Angelo's done that. Yep. He's an RFA on a $1 million deal. They have zero cap space. And they, and that's with a guy on, they already use an LTIR space because of Gardner. So, you know, what would they do if they needed to upgrade that? Because Antiniemi alone isn't going to get it for you. Kakikniemi, RFA, 6.1. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think you move Niederreiter. You sure as hell don't move Trocek. Is Derek Stepan, as a 31-year-old center, headed to UFA, is he a guy that's going to get it for you? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, Ian Cole's 32. I don't think you move him. I think you leave a lot of what you've got alone. You know, you look at D'Angelo Cole and Brendan Smith on the blue line, and I don't know. That, again, we talk about, like, bringing guys in, and how's that going to affect the mix? Yep. And you've got really good chemistry going on. You know, how do you, how does changing it, is it good or bad? And on the baseball side, like we talked about the Chicago White Sox making a big trade for a closer when they already had an all-star in the position. You know, the question is a guy who is playing at, you know, a fringe all-star level in Anderson who's good enough for you to be where you are, who's been a confidence guy in the past. If you were to swing big and go get a flurry, would that totally derail everything that you've invested in Freddie Anderson being your goaltender for this year and next year? Could could that be more counterproductive than positive going for it this year? Um, and so it, it'll be very interesting to see if they ride Freddie and if they think that he's good enough. Uh, I, but I'm not sure that I would do anything too dramatic with that room because it's going well. Yeah. It ain't broke. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't try to fix it as the cliche. But, you know, I, I do think that there's something to be said about possibly bringing in a veteran, but how big do you swing with that veteran? And I don't know that I would go flurry if I'm them one because financially it just doesn't work. And, I, again, I'm not moving Niederreiter or Trocek to make that happen. Um, and, two, uh, I don't know that I would want to undermine the confidence that Freddie Anderson's playing with right now, knowing his history of being a confidence guy. Um, I, I'm not sure that I would try to mess that up. Um, I would probably ride it out with them. May see if injuries pop up in the next month and see if you need to do something there. But you've got you've got enough de- business decisions to worry about this summer with Kotkaniemi, Niederreiter, Trocek, Stepan, uh, all hitting free agency up front. And then, you know, four of the seven blue liners that you've got healthy on the NHL roster right now, not including Gardner, who's got term, but he's on LTIR. you got four of the seven guys on the NHL roster hitting free agency this summer as well, and Cole, Bear, D'Angelo, and Smith. So you've got a lot of business decisions to make. Um, I'm not sure that you're going to be able to bring in the right Band-Aid there, uh, that the right Band-Aid, a veteran who isn't going to undermine Anderson's confidence, is going to be available on the market as well. So it'll be interesting to see what Carolina does. If I'm Florida, I'd, I'm I'm rolling right now. I'm like, I'd, I don't need anything. Tampa needs to figure out how they're going to get healthy enough to chase us down. Uh, and the rest of the Eastern Conference is on notice that I think it's clear with a 23-3-0 record on home ice that the Florida Panthers are a building that no one wants to play in and they should be supremely motivated to have home ice throughout because if they can accomplish that, they got a real good chance at winning the Cup based on how they've done on the East Coast of Florida. 
Things to look forward to down uh, down south there in FLA. I'll be down there next week. I'm going to check out uh, Stamkos and McJesus on Tuesday night. I'll bring you back something. I promise I'll bring something back for Joe. i got to bring something back for you too, Tab. So uh, you can text me what you want. Now, look, before I let you go, because I know you have to get ready for your Daytona 500 party on Sunday, um, three quick hits on the, on the way out the door. Uh, Sid hits 500, uh, one of the best players in the world, not in the league. I want to get your comments on that. Um, and then, uh, obviously, uh, the Hawks here, uh, you know, two wins and three heading into tonight's game. Just a little, you know, comment on, on, on this past week, obviously. And the last thing is tonight, pretty cool thing. Long time coming, obviously, but Everett uh, Fitzhugh and JT Brown will be the first all-black TV uh, NHL team tonight uh, doing the Kraken versus the uh, Winnipeg Jets game tonight on TNT. Uh, love both of those guys. Pretty special night. Want to get your comment on that as well. Yeah, we'll go in reverse order. First of all, again, we've talked about this a lot uh, on this show um, with the all-black broadcast team. Um, seeing it makes it more believable and more achievable for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's well, a long time overdue. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing how those guys do. I think they'll do great, um, and I'd like to see more of it. So good for them for trailblazing um, in a way and – I hope that it, it becomes a precursor to seeing more of this um, because hockey's better when everybody's involved, everyone's included, and everyone wants to take part in the game. So let's get more of it, and I think that that's a good first step. Uh, with regards to the Hawks tonight, they've got Columbus. It'll be the revenge game for Seth Jones and Adam Boquist, first time <laughs> that they will face their former teams. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, Seth Jones has been great for the Blackhawks to the contrary of what some have said I think he's worth what they paid him they just have to figure out the rest of the roster around him and right now it's like digging through a garbage barrel picking it and trying to put together a four course (laughs) meal Um, and then with Sid you know, I think the best thing that I saw from uh, all of the congratulatory posts on social media and in the media at large for Sid uh, great photo that Chris Letang posted on Instagram of him and Evgeny Malkin and Crosby sitting in front of Crosby's stall with the puck. And those three guys have been through a lot together. Yep. Uh, and they've really been, you know, in many ways with Mark Andre Fleury, though he's been gone for a few years, those four guys were the renaissance of Pittsburgh hockey. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, seeing those three guys together on the bench, I thought it was a. a you think about the last 20 years of the NHL and those three guys have meant so much in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh has been so good for so long. I thought it was a really nice photo, but that wasn't the best part of the post. The post was Gino sliding into the comments, congratulating himself for having an assist on the goal, (laughs) Um, which again goes back to like, you look at the, the three guys that they drafted in a row there with, Flurry, Malkin, and Crosby, and how well that those three drafts turn out. And you can just look that that's what makes this the conversation around the trade deadline so important and why you look at who's doing what is so critical because it, drafting well is paramount to sustained success in the National Hockey League. You don't see many teams that go win a championship like the LA Rams did. You can say what you want about Tampa having back-to-backs and being over the cap, but a lot of the guys on that roster who they brought in are not necessarily – they drafted Stamkos. They drafted Hedman, mm-hmm. right? The guys that are they, – they drafted Vasilevsky. The guys that are – they drafted Point. The guys that are carrying the mail down there are 
in many, in most regards, homegrown. And you're, you're developing and building around that and augmenting via trade and free agency around that. And so for me, um, when you consider the, what they did there, when you look at the Blackhawks dynasty coming from drafting Taves and Kane back-to-back, you look at the L.A. Kings' success largely being because they hit on Kopitar and Doughty. You, got, you have to draft well, and then you have to build around it well. And when you talk about Florida, I think that they've drafted very well. And they should feel really good about what they've got. And they've been able to build a good thing around some of the guys down there, like an Aaron Ekblad, a uh, very high pick for them. Huberto, again, you've got great leadership, but it's homegrown. Um, not necessarily completely the case in Carolina. Um, Colorado, most many of those guys are homegrown. McCarr, obviously, uh, it being a, a complete game changer for that entire franchise. Um Calgary a little bit more of a grab bag. So you, you, some of these teams, but you have to draft well. You have to develop well. The picks that you move will have an impact. Uh, so who's going to give up a number one for Marc-Andre Fleury, and what does that mean to the Chicago Blackhawks? We'll find out, but we need to find out who the GM is that's going to pull the trigger on the deal first, it looks like. Um, and who's going to be willing to give up a number one to chase it? Um, because it's... It's going to come down to who's going to pay the most and which situation does Flurry actually want to leave for because, remember, he's got that no-move clause. Mm-hmm. So um, it'll be very interesting to see how that works out because it, alphas don't grow on trees, and that kind of brings me back to the Seth Jones revenge game with Columbus tonight. Really good player who's been moved twice already, and I think you know Nashville's in a playoff spot right now, um, but... You know, would they have preferred to have him over, uh, you know, a, a center who has been kind of hit or miss at times during his career in Nashville? You, you look back at that trade and the fact that it was Johansson for Jones, um, you know, who would you rather have right now? Ryan Johansson making it $8 million a year as a 29-year-old or Seth Jones? I'm going to gonna ride with Seth Jones. But that was a big deal. So... This is what makes the trade deadline fun. Uh, you start thinking forward to the draft and some of the talent that's coming there um, and how these teams that are at the bottom are going to try and dig their way out. And it, it's going to be very, very interesting because there is such a sizable gap between four and five in both conferences in all four divisions that you've already really a month ahead of the deadline established who the buyers and sellers should be. Um, but how many teams like the Islanders feel like this season's an aberration and they're not going to sell as much as they could or should because they feel like what they've got in place is good enough that if they can come back healthy with a normal schedule and tweak a little bit, the guys that they have coming are going to be able to tweak the narrative enough. So it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and we'll see how Seth Jones responds to whatever the reaction is uh, from his former teammates this evening. Yeah, I'm sure the uh, hopefully it'll be good especially from the fans, but uh, obviously we'll wait and see. But anyway, so much stuff to look forward here uh, at THS over the next two weeks. We'll be back in two weeks. Like I said, I'm jetting out of here going down south to get a little warm while Tab gets buried in snow. And um, we'll come back here, and and, uh, we got the stadium game coming up between the Lightning and the Preds to talk about. Hopefully everybody enjoys that as well. And maybe there'll be some more moves. There'll definitely be some more moves in the playoffs as we talked about it today. Tab, you're the best as always, man. Uh, you got a pick for the Daytona 500? Uh, anything? No? N- n- not a clue. Uh, <laughs> Ricky Bobby. <laughs> wow.
love it. Tab, you're the best, man. Thanks so much for hanging with us again at THS. Beautiful. We'll talk soon. All right. Tab, ladies and gentlemen, right here on THS. And THS rolls on. Ow! It'll be very into very very interesting to see what happens. And I like I said, I think t- tonight's game could be um, it could swing one way or the other. I mean, that's a little obvious to say, but it could have huge implications with uh, especially with regards to the uh, the Islanders and their situation uh, right before they um, have one more game here against Montreal and then head out for another West Coast trip that they just came back from, which wasn't too successful. Um, you know, is there? I mean, looking at the East here, I thought the uh, the Panthers and, and um, the Canes last night was a good game, you know, as far as where those teams might end up. And I threw this at Joe, too, and I want to throw it as, uh, at you as well, as far as both of these two teams in the last two years uh, making a lot of adjustments, especially up front, but in the nets, pretty big. Um, Freddie Anderson last night, you know, to me, knowing the guy, not knowing the guy personally, watching him over the years, and obviously the run in, in Toronto we had, kind of made had that little, Freddie Anderson, almost like the, the the MO with like Mark Andre Fleury. You know, these guys are great guys. They're great golden editors and stuff. But then sometimes they get a little concerned as far as, you know, um, big moments. And obviously, Mark's had his big moments. He's had his success. He's won a Stanley Cup, obviously. But, you know, from there on out, it was always like, ah, can Mark be there for the big save when they need him? I don't know if, uh, you know, you see a little bit last night with Freddie Anderson uh, with this team if they get deep. And then you have um, Bobrovsky there. In Florida as well, too. Um, not obviously not going deep with the Columbus Blue Jackets in, in the past, and he's got an incredibly talented team here. You know, we talk about you know Pittsburgh and Washington and the Rangers a little bit here on Boston and stuff, and Tampa Bay as far as their plan. But these two um, these two teams here, the Canes and the Panthers, obviously going to be a big part of the mix. So I want to talk about maybe if if those two. Two guys might be a little bit of a weakness or any concern for you as far as those guys coming out of the East. Yeah, I mean, look, those are the two teams. In the, we talked about the two in the West, the two teams in the East that have a goal differential on the north side at 50, or Florida at 56 and Carolina at 51. And Toronto is the only other team over 40 in the Eastern Conference. So Is that, is that weird, Tab? Isn't that terrible? I don't even ma- ma- mention the Maple Leafs. So I just, I, is it in the back of my mind that I just don't give them a chance at all? No, I mean, I mean there. Look, <laughs> we talk about teams getting it done at home. They're seventeen four and one in Toronto. Um, I think defensively they've been surprisingly good. I mean, one hundred and twenty five goals against in forty six games is terrific. Um, but I, I think this is when you bring up the netminders. I think this is where the Blackhawks situation becomes so fascinating, and where the Blackhawks trying to figure out who the general manager is going to be before the trade deadline so that person can come in and really wheel and deal with the future in mind is so important because you're right. Freddie Anderson has shown us that he can pitch a shutout any night of the week. He's also shown us that he can give up five pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, I think I'm a, I've got a lot more confidence in Bob historically than, than Anderson, but um, – both of those teams are built to win right now, and frankly, for a number of years moving forward. Um, but you, I, I'm more comfortable with what Florida's doing than Carolina, even though Carolina, and that that's in no way, shape, or form 
should diminish how I feel about Carolina. I think that right now I would put those Carolina and Florida at 1A and 1B in the entire conference. Um, and certainly I think Florida clinging to a one-point lead on Tampa, the fact that Tampa is going to push them is a big deal. And for Carolina, you know, they've got three games in hand again with Pittsburgh. So by points, they're in second. But I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that they could and should win the Metro. Um, but you look at so many of these teams that an elite goaltender could change the entire deal. And Mark andre Fleury being in a potential walk year uh, and the Blackhawks not really being a competitive team makes his potential move uh, such a catalyst for everything in the National Hockey League right now. I mean, we talked about the Toffoli deal, uh, but you look at how Calgary's benefited from having the right guy in net and how it's been a game changer. Um, obviously, it's not only a goaltender situation for some teams. I already threw shade at Edmonton that Flurry's not going to change it for them. Washington's been linked to Flurry. That's an interesting proposition. Um, but I... I, I think Florida's good. The fact that they've been able to be as dominant as they have been post-Coinville firing uh, has been a testament to the roster that they have. I mean, Andrew Burnett's a great guy. He's got a lot of experience in the game, uh, but he's a first-time head coach in the National Hockey League. He's recently retired, and for them to be 23-3-0 and at home is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, 24 regulation wins. For, for Florida already out of 48 games, you know, the only team in the East that's got, you know, up there, Toronto's got 25, Boston's got 24, Pittsburgh 25, Carolina 28, Rangers 26. So, you, but the, again, you're sorting out the top six. And with the way that COVID's impacted things, all these teams have got different numbers of games played. So, it, it's hard to sort out who's got what, but I, I'm. I think Florida and Carolina will be there at the end. I, I just my gut right now is if I was going to put a Final Four on the bracket as we get closer to March for the NHL, I would say Florida, Carolina, Colorado, Calgary, and we've talked about the idea that Flurry and Kemper would be a dynamite combo for Colorado. Um, but I do think, you know, Carolina has to have that itching in the back of their head. What do we do we need a stronger one B and possible one A in the playoffs with Freddie? Um, or do we keep riding that and and continue to be confident that the guys in front of them will score enough and and we can get by? It'll it'll be very interesting because they have uh zero cap space in Carolina right now. Mm-hmm. Nada. Uh, Anti Ranta, former Blackhawk, uh, sitting as your backup at two million a year. Uh, Jake Gardner's on LTIR. Um, the other concern that I would have if I'm Carolina is, and you know, I don't have to tell you as a as a Rangers guy uh, that, and you know, Tony D'Angelo is a ticking time bomb, and you don't know if it's going to go off at some point. But he's been a godsend for him. All the personal and character issues aside. You know, we we talked at the open of the season. How are they going to replace Dougie Hamilton? And D'Angelo's done that. Yep, he's an RFA on a one million dollar deal. They have zero cap space, and they and that's with a guy on. They already use an LTIR space because of Gardner. So, you know, 
What would they do if they needed to upgrade that? Because anti-Niemi alone isn't going to get it for you. Kakakniemi, RFA, 6.1. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think you move Niederreiter. You sure as hell don't move Trocek. Is Derek Stepan as a 31-year-old center headed to UFA? Is he a guy that's going to get it for you? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, Ian Cole's 32. I don't think you move him. I think you leave a lot of what you've got alone. You know, you look at D'Angelo Cole and Brendan Smith on the blue line, and I don't know. That, again, we talk about, like, bringing guys in, and how's that going to affect the mix? Yep. And you've got really good chemistry going on. You know, how do you, how does changing it, is it good or bad? And on the baseball side, like we talked about the Chicago White Sox making a big trade for a closer when they already had an all-star in the position. You know, the question is a guy who is playing at – you know, a fringe all-star level in Anderson who's good enough for you to be where you are, who's been a confidence guy in the past, if you were to swing big and go get a flurry, would that totally derail everything that you've invested in Freddie Anderson being your goaltender for this year and next year? Could could that be more counterproductive than positive going for it this year? Um, and so it, it'll be very interesting to see if they ride Freddie and if they think that he's good enough. Uh, I, but I'm not sure that I would do anything too dramatic with that room because it's going well. Yeah. It ain't broke. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't try to fix it as the cliche. But, you know, I, I do think that there's something to be said about possibly bringing in a veteran. But how big it, do you swing with that veteran? And I don't know that I would go flurry if I'm them one because financially – it just doesn't work. And, I, again, I'm not moving Niederreiter or Trocek to make that happen. Um, and, two, uh, I don't know that I would want to undermine the confidence that Freddie Anderson's playing with right now, knowing his history of being a confidence guy. Um, I, I'm not sure that I would try to mess that up. Um, I would probably ride it out with them, may, see if injuries pop up in the next month and see if you need to do something there. But, You've got you've got enough business decisions to worry about this summer with Kadkaniemi, Niederreiter, Trocheck, Stepan, uh, all hitting free agency up front, and then you know four of the seven blue liners that you've got healthy on the NHL roster right now, not including Gardner, who's got term but he's on LTIR. You got four of the seven guys on the NHL roster hitting free agency this summer as well, and Cole, Bear, D'Angelo, and Smith. So you've got a lot of business decisions to make. Um, I'm not sure that you're going to be able to bring in the right Band-Aid there, uh, that the right Band-Aid, a veteran who isn't going to undermine Anderson's confidence, is going to be available on the market as well. So it'll be interesting to see what Carolina does. If I'm Florida, I, I'm I'm rolling right now. I'm like, I, I don't need anything. Tampa needs to figure out how they're going to get healthy enough to chase us down. Uh, and the rest of the Eastern Conference is on notice that I think it's clear with a 23-3-0 record on home ice that the Florida Panthers are a building that no one wants to play in and they should be supremely motivated to have home ice throughout because if they can accomplish that, they got a real good chance at winning the cup based on how they've done on the east coast of Florida. Things to look forward to down uh, down south there in FLA. I'll be down there next week. I'm going to check out uh, Stamkos and McJesus on Tuesday night. I'll bring you back something. I promise I'll bring something back for Joe. i got to bring something back for you too, Tab. So uh, you can text me what you want. Now, look, before I let you go, because I know you have to get ready for your Daytona 500 party on Sunday, 
Um, three quick hits on the, on the way out the door. Uh, Sid hits 500, uh, one of the best players in the world, not in the league. I want to get your comments on that. Um, and then, uh, obviously, uh, the Hawks here, uh, you know, two wins and three heading into tonight's game. Just a little, you know, comment on, on, on this past week, obviously. And the last thing is tonight, pretty cool thing, long time coming, obviously, but Everett uh, Fitzhugh and JT Brown will be the first all-black TV uh, NHL team tonight uh, doing the Kraken versus the uh, Winnipeg Jets game tonight on TNT. Uh, love both of those guys. Pretty special night. Want to get your comment on that as well. Yeah, we'll go in reverse order. First of all, again, we've talked about this a lot uh, on this show um, with the all-black broadcast team. Um, seeing it makes it more believable and more achievable for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's well, a long time overdue. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing how those guys do. I think they'll do great, um, and I'd like to see more of it. So good for them for trailblazing um, in a way, and I hope that it, it becomes a precursor to seeing more of this um, because hockey's better when everybody's involved, everyone's included, and everyone wants to take part in the game. So let's get more of it, and I think that that's a good first step. Uh, with regards to the Hawks tonight, they've got Columbus. It'll be the revenge game for Seth Jones and Adam Boquist. First time that they will face their former teams. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, Seth Jones has been great for the Blackhawks. I, to the contrary of what some have said, I think he's worth what they paid him. They just have to figure out the rest of the roster around him. And right now it's like digging through a garbage barrel, picking it and trying to put together a four course meal. Um, and then with Sid, you know, I think the best thing that I saw from, uh, all of the congratulatory posts on social media and in the media at large for Sid. Uh, great photo that Chris Letang posted on Instagram of him and Evgeny Malkin and Crosby sitting in front of Crosby's stall with the puck. And those three guys have been through a lot together. Yep. Uh, and they've really been, you know, in many ways with Mark Andre Fleury, though he's been gone for a few years, those four guys were the renaissance of Pittsburgh hockey. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, seeing those three guys together on the bench, I thought it was a, a, you think about the last 20 years of the NHL and those three guys have meant so much in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh has been so good for so long. It, it, I thought it was a really nice photo, but that wasn't the best part of the post. The post was Gino sliding into the comments, congratulating himself for having an assist on the goal. Um <laughs> Which, again, goes back to, like, you look at the, the three guys that they drafted in a row there with Fleury, Malkin, and Crosby and how well that those three drafts turn out. And you can just look. that That's what makes this the conversation around the trade deadline so important and why you look at who's doing what is so critical because it, drafting well is paramount to sustained success in the National Hockey League. You don't see many teams that go win a championship like the LA Rams did. I mean, you can say what you want about Tampa having back-to-backs and being over the cap, but a lot of the guys on that roster who they brought in are not necessarily they drafted Stamkos, they drafted Hedman. Mm-hmm. Right? The guys that are they they drafted Vasilevsky. The guys that are they drafted Point. The guys that are carrying the mail down there are in many in most regards homegrown mm-hmm. and you're you're developing and building around that and augmenting via trade and free agency around that. And so for me, um, when you consider the, what they did there, when you look at the Blackhawks dynasty coming from drafting 
Taves and Kane back to back. You look at the LA Kings success largely being because they hit on Kopitar and Dowdy. You got, you have to draft well and then you have to build around it well. And when you talk about Florida, I think that they've drafted very well and they should feel really good about what they've got. And they've been able to build a good thing around some of the guys down there, like an Aaron Ekblad, a very high pick for them. Huberto, again, you've got great leadership, but it's homegrown. Um, not necessarily completely the case in Carolina. Um, Colorado, most many of those guys are homegrown. McCarr, obviously, uh, it being a, a complete game changer for that entire franchise. Um, Calgary, a little bit more of a grab bag. So you, you, some of these teams, but you have to draft well. You have to develop well. The picks that you move will have an impact. Uh, so who's going to give up a number one for Marc-Andre Fleury, and what does that mean to the Chicago Blackhawks? We'll find out, but we need to find out who the GM is that's going to pull the trigger on the deal first, it looks like. Um, and who's going to be willing to give up a number one to chase it? Um, because it's it's going to come down to who's going to pay the most and which situation does Fleury actually want to leave for, because remember, he's got that no-move clause. Mm-hmm. So um, it'll be very interesting to see how that works out, because it, Alphas don't grow on trees, and that kind of brings me back to the Seth Jones revenge game with Columbus tonight. Really good player who's been moved twice already, and I think you know Nashville's in a playoff spot right now. Um, but you know, would they have preferred to have him over uh, you know a, a center who has been kind of hit or miss at times during his career in Nashville? You, you look back at that trade and the fact that it was. Johansson for Jones, um, you know, who would you rather have right now? Ryan Johansson making it eight million a year as a twenty nine year old or Seth Jones? I'm gonna stick I'm gonna ride with Seth Jones. But that was a big deal. So this is what makes the trade deadline fun. Uh you start thinking forward to the draft and some of the talent that's coming there, um, and how these teams that are at the bottom are gonna try and dig their way out. And it it's gonna be very, very interesting because there is such a sizable gap between four and five in both conferences in all four divisions that you've already really a month ahead of the deadline established who the buyers and sellers should be. Um, but how many teams like the Islanders feel like this season's an aberration and they're not going to sell as much as they could or should because they feel like what they've got in place is good enough that if they can come back healthy with a normal schedule and tweak a little bit, the guys that they have coming are going to be able to tweak the narrative enough. So it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it, um, and we'll see how Seth Jones responds to whatever the reaction is uh, from his former teammates this evening. Yeah, I'm sure the uh, – hopefully it'll be good, especially from the fans. But uh, obviously, we'll wait and see. But anyway, so much stuff to look forward here uh, at THS over the next two weeks. We'll be back in two weeks. Like I said, I'm jetting out of here going down south to get a little warm while Tab gets buried in snow. And – um We'll come back here, and, and uh, we got the stadium game coming up between the Lightning and the Preds to talk about. Hopefully everybody enjoys that as well. And maybe there'll be some more moves. There'll definitely be some more moves in the playoffs as we talked about it today. Tab, you're the best as always, man. Uh, you got a pick for the Daytona 500? Uh, anything? No? N- n- not a clue. Uh, <laughs> Ricky Bobby. <laughs> I love it. Tab, you're the best, man. Thanks so much for hanging with us again at THS. Beautiful. We'll talk soon. All right. Tampa, ladies and gentlemen, right here on THS. And THS rolls on. Ow!
good news, folks. We're heading down to the Gulf Coast. The best coast? Well, it's certainly a south coast. Our pal Mr. Steve Palumbo's back on THS. We miss him so. Steve-O. How y'all doing down there, buddy, in there, Texas? What's going on, brother? Welcome back. Hey, brother. It's great to be back. Yeah, I miss you guys, too. It's, uh, you know, it's like a piece of my life, and it's been missing, and now it's back, so it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good timing, brother, obviously. Uh, a lot going on, lots of news stories that we can bop around here a little bit. Obviously, just had uh, Joe and Tab on and uh, getting their takes on a few things here, too. And I want to start right out of the gate with uh, just the, the big game last night. As far as not only two franchises, but a big guy getting back on the ice. Um, you know, he's been part of the news here the last uh, year or two with regards to Buffalo. But Jack Eichel steps on the ice last night uh, in, in a 2-0 loss, obviously, uh, against the team that you cover here, the Colorado Avalanche. We've been talking in length about them this year. Uh, Darcy Kemper seems to be settling in pretty nice now. Uh, that was a big question mark with as far as the goaltending for the Avs. Man, if he can stay healthy and stay focused like he's played the last couple of games, um, it looks good for the Avs. The um, Knights here in a different situation. Stone's out. Eichel comes in. Obviously a little rusty. You give him a little breathing room. But the one thing I loved about that game last night is the excitement and the energy. So much talent. Maybe a preview of a big series we might get here uh, down the road. But let's start there, Steve, and let's talk about the Avs, uh, Eichel, the Knights, and, and this game and the vibes and what you saw and feel. Yeah, I mean, obviously a great marquee matchup for the NHL. I'm in Vegas and Colorado, too, that – Two teams that, that really don't like each other and uh, perennial powerhouses. And then you, you add in the Jack Eichel factor and the, the drama and the buildup uh, of this whole thing coming back from the surgery. Um, and, you know, he looked pretty good out there. I know the crowd was really pumped. But, you know, I, I think when you, when you look at that, that game as a whole, it kind of just puts in the, in the perspective just how fantastic Colorado is and, and really how much of a cut above the rest of the league they are um, as far as general overall talent from top to bottom and you can throw the goaltending in there. And I think they, they, you know, they ended up overshadowing the whole return of Jack Eichel thing. Yeah. It would have been really cool and a great storyline if you had a big game and Vegas wins. And, uh, but you just basically saw what Colorado does. They come in, they play their game. They get excellent goaltending when they need it. They get offensive production when they need it, special teams. And then boom, you just have uh, one of the, t- the league's, um, you know, most premier teams, uh, being focused there. And I think that the Jack Eichel effect just brought, brought more attention into that game. And people were able to experience what, what Colorado is and what they have been for this entire season. So uh, I'm looking forward to more games between these teams and, and Jack getting even more comfortable and, and then hopefully a, a nice playoff series, but man, what a, what a treat for the NHL. Yeah, no, it, it's good stuff. I, I just want to stick with the abs here real quick. I mean, you look at the guy behind the bench there, DeBoer, uh, guy obviously you're, we're both familiar with, obviously the Devils and, and the run there with the Sharks and, um, you know, surprising the abs last year and knocking them out. And, um, you know, he's got all that experience and they've got some things to tool with. And that's not a bad problem to have is try to figure out how to get Eichel productive and into this lineup. It's all good stuff. Looking over Jared uh, Bednar over there is for the Avalanche, quietly with all that talent, you know, and he takes over from, you know, a guy like Patrick Roy and all that stuff. And, and you kind of fast forward to where he is. And, I, you know, he's not a household name outside of Denver right now. No. But if, if he gets this team to the promised land, man, I just kind of curious is your take as far as covering him and how he is as a coach. And, you know, th- there's quite a few teams here in the NHL that have a, you know, a lot of talent. 
and Mm -hmm. big contracts and egos and everything else. And, you know, Bednar comes out of, you know, he's, he's, Pretty much a, a new kind of coach in the league. He, he doesn't have a Stanley Cup championship to, to to hang around his neck here or anything. But take us through a little bit of um, how he's slowly and quietly, I guess, in amongst the rest of the league here, uh, doing a hell of a job with this team. And 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 if he, how he might end up being a guy like, even though DeBoer hasn't won, but he's he's been to the Stanley Cup Finals. And you think of mm-hmm. uh, some of the other top coaches in the league who've won and been there. Just kind of getting an idea from you where, where Bednar stands for you compared to other coaches in the league right now. All right, we've touched on this before, but, you know, you know Bednar is an excellent coach, very even-keeled. Uh, he's just – he's got his finger on the pulse of the team. And I, I think we, the, the way you look at the way Colorado's constructed and, and how they've got kind of gotten to this point, I mean, it was only a few seasons ago that they were the worst team in the league, uh, had, had one of the worst records in history, and then – you, you kind of just see how they build through the draft. They bring their talent in. Bednar, again, was a guy who was allowed to kind of grow with the team as, as they got more comfortable and the system became more developed and more crisp and more honed. And they, they kind of perfected the way they played together and the, the line matchups and the way that he's, he's been able to get the most out of his players. I mean, if you look at how many players have come in and out of the Avalanche lineup just this season alone and what he's been able to do, even with him missing time with COVID and stuff, they – he's been able to just come back in, plug different guys in because he has that kind of uh, connection with the team. He knows what guy's going to fit with, with what other guy in the line. If you move this guy up or this guy down and, and quite frankly, a team like Colorado, you have that luxury because there is so much depth there. And, and Bednar's been there to see these guys develop. He knows their strengths and weaknesses. He knows, uh, you know, what, what makes guys tick. And he's, he's like, the prototypical modern NHL coach. You know, the NHL has always been kind of like a, a, a revolving door of coaches, kind of like most professional sports. You guys, mm-hmm. you guys basically get jobs on reputation. But a guy like Bednar has just quietly come in and over the last several seasons has, has put together a, a really impressive resume. And, and once this team finally gets over the hump and wins the Stanley Cup, and I think they're, they're knocking on the door there, I think he'll become a household name. And you'll see a lot more teams – uh, following that same, maybe not going back to the retread, but but bringing in these coaches or, or developing coaches within the system to grow with their teams and and uh, you know allowing for what's happening in Colorado right now. And Steve, speaking of their depth and going from the guy behind the bench to the guy upstairs, does Joe mm-hmm. Sackick or make a move here? Is there anything where the Avalanche could maybe try and find? You know, any do they need anything? I guess is my question. Uh, is there been any kind of buzz or talk at all about moves by the uh, avalanche at all uh you know with the trading deadline coming up on the 21st definitely a lot of buzz around them and i guess it kind of goes with the territory based on where they are in the standings and, and their aspirations and you know you'd like to say that the team as is could win the cup the way they are currently constructed and i think that they could but any team is only an injury or two away from you know having an issue and I think that the, like Joe Sackick would like to add somebody to the lead uh, to the team that that could could help them in the playoff run. Whether that's a Claude Giroux, whether that's a Joe Pavelski. Obviously, Dallas is playing well now, so they may not be so much on the uh, the, the dumping guys off. But Pavelski's name was out there for a while. Uh, I know Giroux is is high on their radar. Uh, there was a lot of talk around the goaltending situation, but as you know, they, the Colorado goaltending has been fantastic. Um, you know. I saw something today and it kind of blew me away. 
2003 was the last time the Avalanche as a team posted back-to-back shutouts with Patrick Waugh between the pipes. And in the last couple of weeks, they've done it twice with both our goalies. Both Francus and Kemper have posted back-to-back shutouts. First time in, in nearly 20 years the franchise has done it, and they've managed to do it a couple times in the last couple of weeks. So uh, with both goalies. So just the, the goaltending situation is really solid. But I do think that they would like to bring in another uh, veteran guy who, who uh, can add another bit of scoring depth uh, and uh, a guy that can kind of fit anywhere in the lineup and play it in the power play or, or whatever. I, I think that's a move you'll see them make. But I would not be surprised if they don't do anything at all. I know there'll be a lot of talk around it come deadline uh, time. And, and it'll be interesting to see if Sackick's able to do something. They do have some players that other teams are interested. I know Alex Newhook is a, a name that people like to throw out there, but I don't think the Colorado is interested in, in trading away a guy like that. There's a couple other guys uh, playing down in Colorado that, or for the Eagles that, that I think uh, could entice some other teams, but we'll see. We'll see how, how it goes. But I, I do think that they're going to try and make at least one or one move, maybe a, a depth move or two, but something to kind of solidify the, the roster so that if they were to, you know, injury were to happen or something, they would at least have another player that they could fill in and uh, keep the, keep this uh, train rolling. Yeah, man, it, it is rolling. It's a, it's a, it's a great position for these guys to be in. You know, you, you come back of how, you know, how disappointed they were getting knocked out against Vegas last year and they're in a good spot and, and maybe Sackett can wait till the last minute, you know, uh, and that's a great place to be in when you know you've got a pretty damn good team on the ice. And, and you know, speaking about the guy behind the bench, as you were talking about, Bednar, uh, just doing a, a bang-up job. Speaking of moves, I want to get your take on Toffoli uh, going out to Cal- uh, Calgary here. And, man, it just, you know, eight in a row last night, um, a team that we, we love talking about, Sutter and everything else, and they just got a little bit better, a lot of fun and you know, you're the West Coast uh, hockey guy here, and you start looking at the teams, Minnesota, Vegas, St. Louis, you know, if it, it, can Edmonton turn things around? You know, is Calgary for real? I have to say, you know, they are. I mean, they're just doing it. But talk about Toffoli joining that uh, pretty star-studded lineup to begin with. Uh, just another clutch guy who, who can put the puck in the back of the net. You know, we talked about when they made this move, uh, earlier in the season, how it would affect them and guys like Johnny Goudreau. And I think the Sutter effect has been, <laughs> I mean, it's been fantastic for this team. Obviously turn things around. Goudreau's having a resurgence. I mean, I'm looking at the standings and you're looking at the Pacific division. Colorado's at the top of the division with a plus 52 goal differential. You don't do that by fluke. I mean, that's the, <laughs> the they're only, they only given up 112 goals this season. So I, I think this team is for real. Uh, this is a team that you hear a lot of people saying can win the Stanley Cup now. Um, they're one of those teams that just kind of comes out of nowhere and they're able to keep the puck out of their own net and get a timely scoring. And I think bringing a guy like Toffoli in just makes that uh, more of a reality. And I, I know uh, people up there in, in Canada are, are itching to have some success. And, and, you know, Calgary looks like a real legit contender right now, somebody that can make some noise in the postseason. And, uh, you know, with the guy like Sutter behind the, bet, uh, behind the bench, I, I mean, you, you can never count a team like that out because you know, obviously we saw what, he, what, what he's done in the past. So you never know. I mean, they're, they're really kind of starting to run away with the division. I mean, they've got a few point lead over Vegas, but Vegas is kind of shuffling, scuffling a little bit and, and don't, you know, all the talk has been talking about the cap circumvention and Vegas, you know, putting Mark Stone on LTIR to make room for Jack Eichel. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, but to me, if you watch Vegas, and I've watched them closely the last several seasons, Mark Stone makes that team go. He is the heart and soul, the captain of that team. And when he's on there, they are that much better. So just because they took him out to bring in Jack Eichel, who hasn't played hockey in a year and a half, two years, doesn't necessarily 
you know, leapfrog them to top of that division. It might actually set them back a little bit until they learn how to play and start winning again without a guy like Mark Stone. I think people are, are not taking that into consideration. That might be a big factor here for Calgary to, to you know, take this division and, and win it. Yeah, and speaking of that, I mean, besides, you know, you get the Avalanche, uh, the Wild, St. Louis, Calgary just talking about, and Vegas is one win away from all breaking the 60-point mark here. And then you got the yeah. Oilers. Uh, I'm sorry, Nashville actually is in the 60-point. That always throws me off the wild card with the division there. Thanks, sorry, <laughs> as far as the standings there. But, you know, you look at the, the, the rest of the, the guys here going forward, uh, you know, going forward in, in in the back there with Edmonton, Nashville. We still don't know with Edmonton and the change, uh, you know, of uh, Tippett being gone here and seeing if those guys can turn things around a little bit. Nashville quietly playing really well um, all season long. And then you get to your teams, you know, that you know, the Kings here, the Ducks. Dallas hanging around. It's it's really tight down there between, you know, Vancouver with 50 and then, you know, respectively the Jets 50, uh, Dallas 54, all for that, those, you know, especially the last wild card spot. It's not going to be a dull moment, obviously, on the top end of the Western Conference and obviously yep. this wild card race on the bottom, Steve. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's going to be exciting, and that's I think that's kind of what you want to see with with uh, when you go to a system like this with the wild card race. You want to see a number of teams still be in it at the end. Uh, you want to you want your you know as many fans to be engaged and as many eyes on the sport as possible. And right now you're seeing uh, a lot of excitement uh, from top to bottom in the in the, the Western Conference, and I think that's that's great for the sport. I mean, it's it's not as interesting in the East, but. Uh, the West is uh, surely going to make from must-see TV, especially coming into the last uh, couple months of the regular season. Yeah, lots to look forward here. So flipping back over to the Eastern Conference here, too, just a little bit. We, we were talking with the other guys about, um, you know, the Florida and uh, the Canes game last night as far as, uh, you know, two teams that are incredibly talented <laughs> up front on the ice. Made, made a lot of changes here, tinkering here and there. And then you got Bobrovsky there for the Panthers, and you got Anderson uh, playing for the Canes and, you know, Freddie's whole run here with, um, you know, Toronto over the years and, um, you know, his stock as far as being a, a big-time guy. And, you know, you look at that goal he gave up there late last night. Is is that maybe a, an unfortunate sign of where, you know, is he going to be able to make the big stops uh, for the Canes going forward? And, um, you know, Bobrovsky there for Florida in terms of how he's played and, you know, not really having a lot of playoff experience in terms of getting deep. Um, so that was, that was a topic today that I want to get your take on, on the two of those netminders. Yeah. You know, Freddie Anderson, he's got the reputation of giving up that, that, that untimely soft goal. Uh, it's kind of plagued him throughout his career, even when he was in Anaheim, definitely in Toronto. Um, the, the biggest difference I think now with Colorado is that he has, I mean, with Carolina is that he has enough talent around him to, to help kind of make up for, for the, you know, those mental lapses he has every now and again. Um, I think a, a team like Carolina is is good enough to where they can play well enough that if they're down or, they you know, they give up a late goal that they can kind of overcome it. You know, they have the coaching. Uh, they definitely have the coach to to lead them uh, with that, that kind of mentality. So I think he's in the best position for himself to succeed. But, I mean, he's always been prone to do that. Um, so if – you know, Carolina was to get knocked out on a fluky overtime goal or something like that, or a softy. Uh, you know, it'd be a shame for Freddie Anderson, but I, I, I think that he's in a, the best position for him to have success right now. Uh, as far as Bob in Florida, I mean, that team is that team is fun to watch, and <laughs> and I think Bob's feeding off that. And um, we know that he's a he's an excellent goaltender, and I think 
the the start that he had when he came over, signed that big deal with Florida, is kind of you know overshadowed just how good of a goaltender he is. And and yes, he hasn't had the playoff success, but I think put in a position with the, that that team that he has around him, he can definitely he's he's a definitely a Stanley Cup uh, caliber goaltender. And um, you know, I, I think those two teams are just <laughs> so fun to watch play hockey. So fun. I mean, that anytime I see Florida on, or I see Carolina, especially if they're playing each other, I will stop it and and watch at least a little bit of it because it's just such good, entertaining hockey. Yeah, and and they're you know the two those two teams are just phenomenal mix in 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 you know a conference and a couple of divisions here that are already pretty stacked with Tampa Bay and obviously all the talent in Toronto. Um, I was joking with Tad before because I almost forgot to even bring up Toronto. I guess I've got this mindset. Well, if, I mean, until they win anything, it's just, yep. a, you know, it's the same old crew, but we'll see what happens. But you got to give them props. St- they are having a good season here. You mix in Pittsburgh and the Rangers and, and Washington and obviously Boston hanging around too as well because they've got, you know, a huge point lead uh, pretty much on, on everybody behind them. I mean, Detroit there, eight points back there. Boston, um, swinging around to two things that I want you to hit on. Obviously, Sid getting his 500 goal. Um, you know, we've been watching him for years. Just want to get your take on Sid, obviously. And, you know, are you surprised? I mean, the Islanders, obviously, you know, we've talked about it here a little bit, you know, during the course of the season, and, and they've had a rough go with it um, as far as, you know, where they've been at the beginning of the year. But, these last couple of weeks, I don't know how much of an excuse you can keep giving to the Islanders. You know, they went out west and, and you know, lose, lose to Edmonton and Calgary, and then they lose this stinker against Buffalo the other night, which, you know, a team that desperately need points. You just can't lose that game. I think tonight could be an, another nail in the coffin if, if they lose to Boston. And then, you know, they got to go back out west after a, a quick another home game here against Montreal. So first on Sid. And you, you just a quick take on on the Isles, especially the way they played here in the last two weeks. Uh, as far as Sid goes, I mean, you know, obviously a guy that that deserved to get to 500 goals. I I just I kept thinking to myself, it's just a shame that it didn't happen sooner. You know, it, we very nearly didn't get to this point of Sid's career because of all the the head issues and the, and the things that he had early on that kind of kept him on the sidelines. If if he could have stayed healthy in that first, you know, part of his career, I mean, who knows? He could be at 600 goals right now. He he's just that good of a hockey player, um, just a generational talent. Uh, great to see that for him, and just one of those guys that, again, like especially he's getting older uh, and his, you know, his career starting to wind down. Just a guy you want to tune in and just watch play, just so you can have a memory of what it was like to see such a great guy on the ice. Um, you know, obviously playing for Pittsburgh, a rival of, of uh, the Devils and stuff, and you, you've seen a lot of him, and he's 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 done a lot of hurting to my, he's hurt my team a lot, but he's just one of those guys that uh, just really, really uh, one of the, one of the great players of the game. He makes everybody around him better. And it was great to see him get his moment there. Finally, uh, as far as the Islanders, I think, you know, especially with the last, the success they've had over the last season, last couple seasons, obviously people thought they would be one of those teams that would be at the top of the league. But I, I think starting the way they did this season with all those games on the road, um, and then they lost some pretty key players. Um, you know, a guy like Devon Taves um, is a, a, a huge piece. And, and I don't know, he, he means so much to Colorado. I think that um, the Islanders would have liked to have him A rare mistake there. by uh, Lou Lamb there. A rare mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, a guy like Carl Palmieri just not putting the puck in the net. He brings in all these devil, old devil retreads. Zach Parise, who's washed. I mean, it's you've gotten to the point with Lou where he's just kind of doing what he did at the end of his tenure with um, uh, with the Devils. He's trying to bring guys in on reputation, and really, their the skill sets kind of uh, 
diminished. You can't always win with character. You've got to have some talent there. And I, I think you've seen some diminishing returns with, with that olding, that older Islanders uh, roster. Um, I mean, we've, we've mentioned many, many times that the NHL is getting a lot younger. It's getting a lot faster. And it, the older your roster is, the, the less success you're going to have. And I think we're kind of seeing a little bit of that with the Islanders. I, I thought they would be able to turn it around, especially with the guy they have behind the bench. But, man, they, they really have – it's not like they've, they've given up, but I think they've just kind of run out of gas. I mean, all the, the playoff hockey and stuff of the last couple of seasons, I think they've just kind of um, – they've kind of hit a wall and, and it's going to be hard to, to, to muster up enough energy to make a push here in the end. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I agree with you as far as where they are mentally and physically exhausted as a, as a team and as, as an organization and the, the flow of any kind of, you know, consistent start here for them this year, you know, new building the COVID, uh, you know, they were the, you know, they were at the beginning of the, how that league was handling this COVID protocol, which was yeah. pretty much botched up, and and you know it just is what it is. But I agree with you. I think yep. they're kind of spent. Uh, last couple of quick hits here, Steve. Before I let you go, um, not much going on in Devil Land because they're pretty much <laughs> off for the next seven days here. Uh, a couple of losses here to close out before they go on this break, and then they hit uh, back on the road to play Pittsburgh. That we just talked about, and and then mm-hmm. Chicago um, there. I mean, if you, if you got anything to say about the Devs, or we can wait till we come back. That's fine. And then the last two things is, obviously, uh, congrats to the Canadian women's team last night beating U.S. Obviously, everybody knows it's always going to be those two teams uh, yep. in the finals. Uh, like I said, uh, no big surprise there. and They always trade off somebody when somebody loses. But uh, both the United States and the Canadian men's team, obviously, it's going to be was supposed to be different this year. We're supposed to have NHL players in there. Obviously, they have to put these teams together last minute. A lot of you know changes and putting everything together, getting all over there, halfway across the world to China and everything else. But kind of weird that they're both not even going to medal. They're not going to be part of the medal round. So get your take on that. And uh, I just want to close up with um, Everett Fitzhugh and JT Brown. I brought, I brought this up with uh, Joe and Tab here too. First All Black uh, NHL TV. Uh, Broadcast team tonight doing the Kraken versus the Jets. Uh, long time coming. It's great to see. And yes. um, that should be fun to tune in tonight. Just two super guys. Uh, and it's a great thing to see this evening. So those three three, three, three things right there. Little Devils. Um, little lip of cocky, Steve. And uh, Everett and JT tonight uh, firing up the mics. Uh, real quick on the Devils. I, I think, you know, right now we're just basically on who's who's staying, who's going watch uh, when it comes to deadline. I, we got some <laughs> contracts, guys like Jimmy VC and PK Subban, uh, you know, Tom, Tomas Tatar, these guys that the Devils are going to, you know, ship off. Uh, Damon Severson's another name that's been out there. Uh, interesting little thing by Frank Cervelli linked the Devils to Brock Besser and the Canucks having interest in Pavel Zaka. So that would be something interesting to watch. Uh, but other than that, not very fun to be a Devils fan lately. Uh, it's been they have basically they don't have any NHL caliber goaltending, so it's it's been it's been a rough go. Um, they cannot stop the puck uh, at all. And the other night against Tampa Bay, when they were up three one, played a good game. Uh, then you just saw that John Gillies is not an NHL caliber goalie, and it, they Tampa Bay took over from there. So yeah. it is what it is. But that's what we'll be watching for the next couple of weeks to see who's going to be around and who's not. Um, <laughs> As far as the Olympics goes, I mean, to me, this Olympics was all about the women's hockey anyway. Uh, I think once the, the NHL men uh, were not in, involved in it, I think they kind of took a backseat to the women because, first of all, somebody put out some bogus story about how women's hockey doesn't belong in the Olympics. And, I mean, obviously that 
that lit a fire under the hockey community because everybody knows when it comes to Olympic hockey, the women take the cake there. I mean, that's what I, I, every time the winter Olympics comes out, I focus on the women's hockey more than the men's hockey um, because I just love watching them play, especially Canada and uh, USA. I've had a pleasure of seeing them live in Anaheim play against each other. It's just a really great time. And mm-hmm. I think you saw that the two best uh, women's hockey powerhouses in the world go head to head, head to head and uh, Canada win it. As far as the men goes, um, yeah, I think you just saw a product of a team that had to be thrown together late. Um, you know, these other countries um, really focus this the international hockey is huge on them. And when the, the, the Canadians and the American teams had to kind of put their rosters together, they weren't in a position to be as successful as some of these uh, European countries that really live for this moment. So you just kind of saw the way that that kind of unfolded there. I think once you get the, the Olympic or uh, the NHL players back in the Olympics, you'll, you'll see a good, good showing by America and Canada. But again, like I, I can't reiterate enough, this Olympics is really about the women taking the forefront and they did not disappoint. Mm-hmm. And, and as far as, uh, you know, tonight with the, the all black, uh, uh, play-by-play team. I mean, it's a long time coming. Um, I think it's great. I think it's another indication that the NHL continues to be a, a step above in, in pro sports as far as, as getting minorities into these prime positions. And I, I think they're doing a great job of promoting it. And, you know, uh, I'm just really happy to, again, be associated with the sport that continues to to be conscious of these things. And, you know, I was a little slow throughout the years, but I think over the last couple of years, hockey's really started to elevate the way that they're they're handling these things and so i think i'm gonna watch i can't wait for it i'm looking forward to it and uh i just think that there's some really great um minority ambassadors in hockey and i just like the way that the, the league has continued to promote them and get that that out there and continue to be a leader amongst professional sports good stuff steve great commentary on that i agree with you man and uh, we're all looking forward to it too as well too um Joe and Tab, we're all uh, going to be tuning into TNT later on tonight. Uh, very happy for these guys, and agree. Long time coming. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good stuff there. All right, yeah, buddy. Um, you know, I asked the other two guys: are You having a big Daytona 500 party this Sunday or what? Uh, nope. I didn't even know the Daytona 500 was this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you are not the only one, my brother. <laughs> we are we are hockey hockey guys through and through. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. All right, brother, have a super right, weekend. Bro. So great to have you back here from the Gulf Coast. Uh, we love your take as always, man. And uh, like I said, it's great to hear your voice again. So have a super weekend, man. Best of the family, okay, brother? Uh, you too, brother. Take care, man. Always a pleasure. All right. Steve Palumbo, ladies and gentlemen, right here on THS. He's back, baby. He's back. Woohoo! THS, Bad Hockey Show. Follow us everywhere at Bad Hockey Show. And then follow me. And then follow Tab and Joe. And Steve-O. And follow Costa. He may not be here on the air with us, but he's out there in the Twitterverse putting his two cents in on the game and his Montreal Canadiens. As always, folks, we can't thank you enough for tuning in here and listening. We see you guys. We appreciate your audience. We're going to take a break next week. Obviously, you've heard I'm heading down south. I'm going to check out the Lightning and and the Oilers on uh, Wednesday night. Hang out a little bit with Mickey and the kids and the the famine and all that other stuff. So we'll be back here uh, in two weeks. And until then, enjoy the hockey. Stay safe out there. 
And uh, be good to yourselves. And like we always say here at THS, keep your head up, baby. Woo! THS is out.